Greetings, friends, and welcome to another episode of How To Wrestling, the world's first wrestling podcast detailing how to wrestling, how to get into wrestling, how to understand wrestling, and goodness knows, maybe even how to enjoy wrestling. And for this, uh, <laughs> it's going to be a perfect episode. Bay. It's going to be a perfect episode. Get off the stage. I guess you could say it's going to be a Hennig ep- uh, a perfect episode. <laughs> As, uh, hello everyone once again, I'm Kevin, a resident wrestling talking person, joined as I'm always by my uh, better half and someone who's on a journey of discovery in the wonderful world of professional wrestling, Joe Graham. Hello. How's things, Joe? As always, things are good. Yeah? Yeah. You're just constantly in a state of being well. Well, recently. Yeah? Yeah. I've been, <laughs> I've been wellish. Well, you've been looking, I mean, sometimes when we do how to wrestling, we've got to watch some stinkers. Yeah. You know, sometimes when we do how to wrestling, you got to play a little WWF attitude. Yeah. Well, I'd say this was probably we're doing Mr. Perfect. So today's episode, How to Perfect, was nothing but a joy to uh, do research for. Yeah, it really cheered me up yeah. doing all the all the watching all these good matches. So this is what I love now about about how to wrestling. We're actually at the point where we're doing wrestlers where you previously saw them in previous episodes. And we're kind of like, oh. Oh, is this guy? Because we did Hogan and Mr. Perfect, which lo and behold, in How To Hogan, was the only Hogan match that you enjoyed. Yeah. And uh, now we're dedicating a whole episode to probably the reason why you enjoyed that match. But interestingly enough, I was underwhelmed with the Hogan match, because I know you showed it to me as like an example of, oh, there are some good matches involving Hulk Hogan. Hogan can leave his feet. Yeah. <laughs> but even that one didn't really impress me as much as I thought it would. Yeah. So, I mean, even uh, still out of all the Mr. Perfect matches that you've seen, the one with Hogan is probably... Oh, yeah. It's the worst. Right so I, the I actually I didn't come into this episode with very high expectations yeah mr perfect was that a wrestler you had heard no much of before we got into this podcast no before the podcast not at all the, literally the first i heard of him was the hulk hogan episode oh. and i've heard mention of him just very very rarely since then like okay. maybe just a couple of times very interesting no one talks about him and it's very interesting isn't it seeing as he's got a son on the active roster yeah which i always forget I always forget that his son is... <laughs> you and WWE creative yeah. always forget. Oh, yeah, aren't you Mr. Perfect's son? <laughs> Mr. Perfect's son is Curtis Axel, right? Yeah, Curtis Axel. Not who... Kurt Angle. Not Kurt Angle. Okay. Different different Kurt's. Kurt with a K, Kurt Angle, future episode. Curtis Axel. I mean, geez, I had to take some serious fucking Patreon request for uh, <laughs> for him to get his own episode. But yeah, Mr. Perfect does have his like link to the modern product, so definitely one that's worth uh, worth looking at. We've got an amazing list of matches. Whittling this down to the number that we had was very difficult. I just wanted to show Joe non-stop Bret Hart Mr. Perfect matches, but we did have to get some sort of semblance of balance across his career. But before we get into the man himself, Joe is, of course, on a never-ending journey to learn more about the world of wrestling, so it's time to see what you learned this week in wrestling. So this week on What I Learned in Wrestling, I discovered that Bray Wyatt from the Wyatt family, his sister has her own YouTube cooking channel. Now, for those of you who aren't aware, I know we haven't done How To Wyatt yet, but if you have had even a cautionary glance at the main show, this man is all over it. Large bearded fellow, bit of a cult-like leader, talks about the end of the world every week, loses a lot. Talks about Sister Abigail. If you are like one of our $5 Patreon backers and listen to our monthly pay-per-view reviews, we we talk quite a bit about the Wyatts there. So, you know, there's some context for this. So, yeah, we had a look at it because we were sent it like saying, oh, look, Bray Wyatt's in his sister's cooking video this week. We're like, oh, awesome. Okay, let's check it out. Because it's long established now in how-to canon that we love 
shitty um, YouTube cooking shows. And I didn't think you'd ever top or come close to Taste of Tennille. I think you might have a contender here with this one. Well, the thing is with um, with his sister, now she's called Mika Rotunda, because okay. of course Bray Wyatt's actual shoot name... Oh, good use of the word shoot there. Thank you. Yeah, is very... Wyndham. He's, his name is Wyndham Rotunda. Wyndham Rotunda, named after Barry Wyndham, who's another wrestler. But ah, anyway. And his brother is... Bo Rotunda. And his brother, Bo, is Bo Dallas, who was also on the main show. So wrestling's a small world. It's so basically cool. two or three lads had sex with a bunch of people, and that's it. That's all the wrestlers. <laughs> is it Vince McMahon? Did he just father everyone? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so anyway, um, so Mika Rotunda has her own, like, it's not just a cooking channel. It's She goes around and she... It's a bit like a cooking Call channel. Calling a cooking channel is a bit of a stretch. It she is. goes into restaurants and talks to them until they give her a free meal. Like. I haven't watched all of them, but I think she does do some actual cooking in some of them. So she does cook? I, I, I mean, I'm not saying that with confidence. I've not watched all of them. Okay. But I think she does. Well, what we watched, because we watched her and Bray, they visited what seemed to be some sort of barbecue house. It reminded me a bit of um, Guy Fieri's show where he goes around all the restaurants so Bray's there like you gotta kick it before you dip it man <laughs> so she is it's obviously like a sponsored video as well like I'm pretty sure you think the restaurant paid you for think? it there was a what a 10 minute speech from the guy who ran the thing about the different types of craft beer they have because at this at the offset we're here like we're gonna have a good time and you can tell from Bray Wyatt, Bray's there like the rest of us. Bray Wyatt is in this video thinking, right, we're going to get some fucking ribs going here or something. Well, first of all, <laughs> he's not even in it for the first, like, 15 minutes. He's not in it, like, for ages. And he peers up right at the end. <laughs> Randomly, he just shows... He's when, just there. When the meat appears, lo and behold, Bray Wyatt, like, literally like like he's doing a run-in, like, they put meat on the barbecue, and then it's like... And then Bray Wyatt is there, with his hands in his pockets and a big smile on his face. What I love even more about it is that when he enters the video, he comes on as Wyndham Rotunda, special guest, a.k.a. Face of Fear. A.k.a. Please don't sue us, Vince McMahon. And he's just standing there really awkwardly like obviously waiting for the food at one point when they're doing this very long cookout and the guy's talking about like how great it, I'm, I'll be honest I fucking hate people who go on about how tender meat is oh I cooked it for 19 days very tender of course it's, you what? of course it's tender <laughs> but yeah they're, they're literally just standing there and Bray's got his hands in his pockets and he does just kind of like you would in a situation where someone gave you all that tender meat and he just kind of goes yeah, it's very tender. <laughs> and you cook that for... Oh, that's very long. I wouldn't cook it for that long. Where do you find the time? Oh, yes, that is very tender. Although I would expect it to be tender, given how long you cooked it for. <laughs> and he just seems really grumpy and like he really just doesn't want to be there. And at the very end, he's just so clearly... Because they, they, they drag him back out to do like the shot in front of the restaurant. Yeah. And I'll be honest, I've, I've been made to, you know... To had pictures taken when I didn't want pictures taken. I'm just talking about it was generally like, oh, take a picture in front of the restaurant, yeah. take a picture in front of the the fjord, <laughs> and I don't want to do it. And Bray has the look of a, of someone who's on holiday who's been made to take a picture. He really doesn't want to be there. I just imagine his parents are standing behind the camera going, oh, go on, Bray. Oh, go on, don't be such a spoil sport. Help your sister. Hey, tell you what, Bray, if you stand here, she'll be Sister Abigail, huh? We'll solve that <laughs> mystery, huh? Solve that mi- What? She is your sister, Bray. Bray, play with your sister. <laughs> so it's nice to know that the, uh, the, 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 the Rotunda family are multifaceted. And I'd say it's worth watching just to see how m- similar... Mika looks to Bo and Wyndham because they all look really, really similar. You pointed out that like her 
eyes and forehead. And the nose as well. She's got a little... Bo Dallas has like this tiny, tiny little nose. <laughs> really cute little nose. And she again has like this tiny nose. It's horrible because I mean like, I'll be honest, like, I could make fun of how Bo Dallas looks all the time. And then when he's got a sister who unfortunately looks very like him. Oh, I think she's right. pretty. I mean, she looks a lot like him, but not in a bad way. No, she hasn't Bo got Dallas his... is a pretty man. Well, you know, it's because Bo Dallas pulls those faces, I guess, doesn't he? Those kind of golem they... faces. Oh, golem faces. Just, um, uh, Bo Dallas shouldn't smile. <laughs> when he smiles, he looks creepy. And when he glowers as well, he looks even fucking creepier. It's... He can look quite creepy. Mika, however, has like the same kind of smile as he does, only not creepy. Yeah, and she doesn't do a victory lap or in the restaurant after she scores a free meal. Unfortunately not. But even though they all look really similar, which is interesting, and Bray Wyatt the face of fear is in it i wouldn't recommend watching this video unless you fancy hearing 10 minutes of some guy talking about different beer i feel like i learned a lot more about craft beer than about wrestling i probably now that i felt sympathetic for bray wyatt in a social situation i felt that this video has exposed the business in a small manner yeah totally has now i know the true identity of sister abigail and i'm unhappy about it (laughs) so how to perfect We had a whole mess of match recommendations for this. So many good ones to get into. Mr. Perfect is renowned as being one of the absolute like greatest in-ring wrestlers of all time. Yeah. Okay, what's the difference between being the greatest in-ring wrestler and out of ring wrestler? I guess in the sense that once the the bell rings and the actual wrestling happens, you know, as in two people squaring off to have a match that there was few better Ever so than Mr. Perfect. If you're a talented, not in ring wrestler, does that mean you're good at promos? Yeah, so say for instance, someone would be like, say like Shawn Michaels would always be someone who's called like one of the greatest all rounders of all time because he was okay. amazing on the microphone. He had this presence, this charisma. He had a character in the ring. He was amazing. You know, he delivered incredible matches. He was innovative. And Mr. Perfect ticked a lot of those boxes, but he was like, probably speaking, considering the era he came up in which is late 80s, early 90s for the most part, he stood out head and shoulders above 99% of the competition. Right. And he is in many, many ways kind of a forefather to the style of wrestling that you like so much. And I don't think a lot of the, the new new fans who listen to How to Wrestling, which is, you know, the NXT style or the, mm. the fast-paced style, things like, you know, the Young Bucks, Sami Zayn, all that, I think would all have some kind of influence from this Mr. Perfect chap who we'll yeah. be looking at. So yeah, Mr. Perfect, uh, before he was Mr. Perfect and he had that moniker, that famous name in WWF, he was originally Kurt Hennig. Now, I'm Hennig. Gonna, Hennig, not Henning. Henning. Or Herring. Herring. <laughs> Hennig. Kurt Hennig. I'll be honest, me, and I'd say 90% of, of other wrestling fans incorrectly call him Kurt Henning for many, many, many years. I mean, it's easy enough to do because I see it written down and I automatically, in my brain, insert an N. And yeah, like an it's like an autocorrect in your brain. I yeah. think if you see N's and then an I and a G, you're just going to... You just sort of add it in. You do. And I think Henning is a more like popular name, at yeah. least in places where you and I live, than Hennig. Yeah, Hennig is a very, quite unique yeah. surname. Yeah, Hennig. But like wrestlers have called him Henning as well, like when they're just talking in interviews and stuff, they're kind of like, <laughs> Henning, you know. And what I love as well is like, I was just kind of never knew. And then it was like 2008 or 2009, it was around the time he was going into the, to the Hall of Fame. One of the announcers on TV 
was like, you know what makes me sick? All these idiots out here talking about how much Kurt Henning meets them or how an influence Mr. Henning was. It's Henning! It's an IG, not an ING, you idiot. Like, oh! <laughs> Everyone just goes bright red and leaves the room, you know? The way I've been trying to remember it is by calling him in my mind Kurt Henning. Hen egg. Hen's Hen's egg. egg. Yeah. I like that. Hen egg. Perfect. Feel free to steal that. (laughs) (laughs) So, Mr. Hennig, Mr. Hennig, Mr. Perfect, Kurt Hennig had many, many matches in a promotion called the AWA. And I tried to give Joe, it was like, we watched this AWA match, and there was quite a few to pick from. We ended up settling on Jerry Lawler versus Kurt Hennig from 1988 for the AWA Championship. But when Joe asked me, like, what is the AWA, Kevin? I'm like, oh, well, it was just, like, promotion that kind of split off on its own during the territory days. And it got, like, had a really famous style. This guy trained all these amazing wrestlers, all these huge, huge names like Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan, Gene Oakland, uh, Kurt Henning, all these big names all flew through this company. And then Vince McMahon, he kind of just took all their best guys and they kind of went slowly out of business, kicking and screaming. And uh, I was realised that the story of the AWA is an incredibly depressing one. And I didn't, <laughs> didn't feel too nice about the world of wrestling after. So we're not going to get a how-to AWA then? Oh, we will. But we'll have to have a couple of happy ones before Aww. then. Like, you know, how-to boyhood dreams come true. Aww. Then we'll do how-to AWA and it's a grim fucking story. How-to wrestlers enjoying eating ice cream. No. How-to wrestlers <laughs> playing with puppies and kittens. There we go. That's what we're on about now. Yeah, absolutely. So this was a very interesting one. A lot of people recommended Kurt and his many matches with Nick Bockwinkle, but we ended up settling on one. Bockwinkle. That's a great name. That's a great fucking name. A great man as well, I will say. Bockwinkle. I shook Nick Bockwinkle's hand at an autograph signing. I I went up to him and said, Mr. Bockwinkle, I just wanted to say, with all due respect, he's looking really serious, going, "Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm, like, think I'm going to tell how amazing his match was. With all due respect, sir, your hair looks as immaculate today as it did back in 1988. And he's like, thank you very much. And he shook shook hands. Everyone was like, that was a really respectful comment to make. (laughs) But um, Jerry Lawler taking on Kurt Hennig in the AWA in 1988. I couldn't turn up the chance at Joe seeing Jerry Lawler, the wrestler, in his heyday. I bet you were, like, just excited. So excited you couldn't even sleep the night before at the prospect of showing me Jerry Lawler. I mean, just... Because, I mean, I do honestly believe that Jerry Lawler, he gets so much good grace from particularly older fans solely because the memories of... Lawler in the 80s and 70s and early 90s are still so strong. Yeah. And they're kind of like, ah, he can be an old sexist crackpot. It's all right. He did a great match in Memphis back in 82. You know? <laughs> yeah. So I was wondering, obviously he's incredibly talented, Kurt mm-hmm. Hennig. I yeah. mean, just without spoiling all the future matches we're going to be covering this episode, they were all good. Yeah. He's amazing. How did he get into wrestling then? He got into wrestling in the, 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 the oldest way possible. His dad was a very, very famous wrestler. Ah, His okay. dad was Larry the Axe Hennig, who was like a big barrel of a bear of a man. He's, as in, you know, your, your typical old-timey, you know, wrestler that they would draw in, you know, Bugs Bunny cartoons. Right. You know, two two nasty teeth, kind of hairy chest. Rawr, he's going to rip you in two. Yikes. Too. You know, there's, there's all these stories like uh, Reddy Roddy Piper, his first ever match was against Larry uh, the Axe Hennig and he like he killed him in like 10 seconds. You know, he's, he was proper old school, well respected. And yeah, Kurt started wrestling, you know, really, really young. Did he ever go to places like Japan and things? Because his wrestling style is so different. He from... was actually mainly based in um, 
in the in the US. And the main reason being is that a lot of guys would go over to Japan to get exposure and things like that. But because of his connections of who his father was, he had it in pretty much straight away with the AWA, as we mentioned. Because right. obviously, Minnesota is where the AWA was based. Uh, where Kurt Hennig was from, Robbinsdale, Minnesota, is like... It's funny, there's like this like one town where all these amazing like famous wrestlers all came from. Like Rick Rude, Road Warriors, the Hennigs, this town, Robbinsdale. So it's like amazing wrestlers come from this amazing town and these all of these amazing wrestlers came through, you know, this promotion right. and all went on to do very, very well because they just kind of it was set up. I mean, some will say, Oh, is it nepotism or anything? It's not. He was he was that talented and he had the connections. Yeah. So he was he was a prodigy in the sense that he was early 20s main event shows for the AWA because the AWA was going down they needed youth new guys because all the the big stars had went to WWF so Kurt Hennig found himself at the age of you know very early 20s was champion main eventing and he had the character then of the the cocky young second generation heel right and he was he was an absolute prodigy as well and him facing here Jerry Lawler the idea was that you know Jerry Lawler was coming in from this different company and he'd stolen the AWA belt and yada 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 so this match was amazing for a number of reasons. I was really interested to see what Joe thought of Jerry Lawler, particularly <laughs> of Jerry Lawler's ring attire here. I mean, what do you think uh, of that fucking silver bomber jacket? Yeah, the silver bomber jacket I actually did really like. I was going to say. Like, I want one of my own. Maybe that, in gold. Right, right up your aesthetic. Yeah, it's right up my aesthetic. But his goddamn beard. <laughs> uh. I, I'll tell you this now, because I, mean, I don't know if you realise... Do you know the significance of the beard? No, you asked me that when we were watching it. You were like, do you notice anything about his beard? I was like, the shape it's terrible. Of the beard? It's terrible. <laughs> the beard's a little crown. What? It's got three spokes on it because it comes underneath the lip and then either side of the of Because he's mouth. Jerry the King. Jerry the King Lawler and it comes onto a, the, the base of the crown is his chin. It's a shit crown. It is a little crown though. It looks nothing like a crown. <laughs> now Awful. that I've pointed it out, you will Yeah, not- that's not how that works. You can't just... Put your beard into a shit shape, vaguely resembling a crown, and then be like, well, it works because once people have been told it's a crown, then they realise it kind of does look like a crown. As an English person, has anyone in the monarchy ever kind of, you know, really put an underline underneath their monarchy by having the uh, the goatee in the shape of a crown? No, clearly Jerry Lawler is an innovator in that respect. Clearly. I mean, just like, <laughs> pick up something, Charles, is saying, you know? looks, with that beard, like Eric Wareheim deliberately trying to look as repulsive as possible. Yeah, I got a real vibe with the, the Tim and Eric yeah. asshole LA insider characters that they do with, like, little glue-on beards. <laughs> <laughs> Shit like that. It's awful. What was quite depressing about this match, in addition to giving Joe the little rundown of of how AWA was struggling at the time and really, like, losing it. I mean, you had this kind of going on, like, old-timey classic wrestling, the way it's meant to be, old-timey wrestling. And at the same time, you had Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant and Roddy Piper with their own cartoon show and MTV over on the other side. This did seem a bit dusty, particularly when you saw that the crowd was pretty much half-empty. There was a lot of empty seats, and the people that were in those seats were very old. The weird thing I noticed, and this is honestly so unsettling to me, was that like 90% of the crowd were wearing white shirts. Yeah, what was that? I think it's because they're all old. Yeah, and old is. people wear light colours because it makes them seem less washed out. <laughs> but honestly, they were all old, and they were all wearing white. Literally almost all of them. It was so strange. And straight away, I was a bit worried because I'm like, oh, Fuck it, I thought I am going to be mad smart and show Joe the old style of wrestling in front of the old crowd and here are these fucking, you know, fossils in the crowd. Half of them aren't even there, the other half are asleep. And I'm thinking, 
this is going to be fucking like pull it like it was going to be one of these matches where it was technically amazing and proficient but there's no crowd reaction and I said often many many a time that if there's no crowd reactions I can't enjoy yeah. a wrestling match well fuck me they whipped this crowd up into an absolute frenzy yeah those old people got well into it and they went 10 minutes thereabouts before they took any sort of bump. Because I kept mentioning to Jungle, keep your eyes out, see you know, the work rate and see, you know, are they going to bump? Are they going to fall over? The first bump in this match was Kurt being punched in the face by Jerry. Yeah. Which he sold like he'd been shot with a sniper rifle at close range. And the crowd literally were out of their seats going, yeah! Now keep in mind what would you need to do these days to get that kind of reaction. I... It's really interesting because you kept, yeah, you were pointing that out and saying like, oh, wow, look how few bumps they take. And I honestly didn't notice. And I wonder if it's because I'm still a new fan that I don't have this expectation for everything to be really quick and really, like, I mean, I love the quick style of wrestling, but I didn't at any point think, this is a bit slow. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, because the, the lack of moves didn't make you kind of go, no. come on, do something. Not at all. I always wonder with new fans, if, if you're watching stuff like, I mean, you take, like, say, the TLC match recently with the Triple Threat TLC and you have, like, Callisto doing the backwards flip off a ladder mm. through a ladder. If you're brought up on a diet of that, if can you go back and watch the AWA 1988 and Jerry Lawler, you know, pulling out the right hand, you know. and I think it just shows that, because it's really interesting, because obviously the Hulk Hogan matches, which I consider old-fashioned, I did find them really boring. But this, which I thought I was going to find boring because it's slow and they don't take it many bumps, I didn't at all, because... I don't know, maybe they're just that good? It is, it's the psychology of it. Yeah. Jerry Lawler has, he's like some sort of hypno-toad. I've often referred, I've referred to him as being <laughs> a toad a, before. With a yeah. beard and a crown. Yeah. Like, Jerry Lawler will do this thing, right, where you, you don't give a fuck about what's happening in this in this match. And this happened in the Outsider podcast a million times where we're like, fuck Jerry Lawler, man, he's wrestling this match, fuck him. <laughs> and then like, you know, he'll get hit once and then he'll like he's about to hit someone he'll lift up his, his fist and then he'll turn to the crowd and just give him this look and straight away you're like Jerry Jerry <laughs> Jer-. is that what happened in his court case they're like oh, Mr. Jesus. Lawler we have all this evidence against you and he pulls up the fist and looks at them Jerry <laughs> all the people in the in the jury let's just throw this thing oh, out oh god he is mesmerising no he's really good and it's just people all will throw around the word psychology a lot to describe but it's mm. like you do feel that here because you feel this whole match is like a game of cat and mouse with this young cocky Kurt Hennig trying to outpace Lawler, losing his cool because Lawler is beating him off at every at every corner, and it's just a, it's a really interesting watching this kind of old school very low bump style. And but you say it's low bumps, and yet like you pointed out when um, Lawler punched Hennig the first time, he let back like he'd been shot in the head. Yeah. Does that not count as taking a bump? Then? It is a bump, yeah. But I mean, like, it took him, like, nearly ten minutes to do it. I mean, how many punches are thrown in the opening seconds of a regular I can't match, think, you know? What were they doing for the first ten minutes, then? How come it seemed like they were doing they were, so much? They were pacing each other around. They were locking up. They were doing wrestling holes that were low impact, as in that involved them rolling onto the ground, rolling up, you know, onto the knees. It there just was... seemed... I just didn't even realise until you pointed it out that they hadn't... Like there was a like sequence that. in the match where they did what's called the crisscross, where Jerry Lawler started running against the ropes horizontally, yeah. and Kurt started running against the ropes vertically. And that the, was so cool. The two of them were literally just running against the ropes up and down, and the crowd were going ape shit. And Joe was like, "Yeah!" <laughs> and then they came up with the big move, the real showcase move, the sunset flip, where Jerry Lawler very slowly rolled over Kurt, and Kurt started going, "Oh no, I'm going to fall over!" And you were like, "This is amazing!" And I'm not like making fun of you for no, it. I'm no, just, I like, really did. Pointing out how like 
gripping. <laughs> and we watched this match last. Yeah. We actually watched this after all the other... So it's not ones. like I was just blown away by how shocked I was at Mr. Perfect. Yeah. So, yeah. I was already aware. I was very impressed as well with uh, Kurt Hennig's... Um, manager here which is medusa yes also known as alundra blaze you may have seen her on table for three very so, briefly d- oh my god that's, yeah, her? That, that's her yeah because i was really confused because at the beginning they had this big sign with a woman with snakes coming out of her hair yeah that m- explains that then i guess yes yeah, so it was medusa. medusa yeah she has great hair she has great hair and Fantastic an amazing hair. jacket as yeah. well her, her whole look here was basically they ripped off joe's character from no mercy and yeah. gave it a color swap <laughs> It was awesome. But yeah, of course, as the evil interfering female valet, she at one point tossed Kurt Hennig a shoe, which he used to batter Jerry Lawler with. That's awesome. There's also as well, like, some moves that were done, but they were done so slowly it made them look absolutely disgusting. Like, Jerry fell on the concrete at one point. Like, he was holding on with one hand on the ring apron, like yeah. he was about to fall over, and he's like, Whoa! and he's doing it so slow. Then I'm like, all right, you're not actually going to do it. It's like pantomime at this stage. And then he finally let go and he fell like like in slow motion onto this concrete. Because he fell on concrete, he was like... <gasps> I never find the falling you on know? concrete that shocking. Oh, it just gets from reading McFoley's book and yeah. hearing that. I wonder if that's maybe... Yeah. But um, the thing with the sunset flip, the reason I liked that so much, is because when you've got someone in that position, you think you've got to use your momentum then to get over... The other side. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. explaining this poorly. If I had wrestling figurines, it'd be a lot easier. Sunset Flip will be coming up on Wrestling Move Monday yeah. very, very soon, folks. <laughs> but seriously, like if you're doing something like that, I imagine it is half the momentum that keeps you yeah, going. Yeah, you have to and... carry the momentum over. Yeah. That's how you do it, yeah. Whereas the, when you're doing it so solo like that, you can see he must have the strongest muscles, thigh muscles, to do that slowly and keep him there. And actually be able to go forwards and backwards. Yeah, and it's like doing way. push-ups. It's so much more impressive if you can do them slowly. Yeah, it's really cool. It's really, really cool. Another really amazing move in this was when Kurt did the... Uh, pile driver on Jerry Lawler which was a very very slow pile driver and a very very sick pile driver where he landed straight in his head there's a move that's banned yeah. uh, these days again really slow which is why it's so impressive there was a point as well where the two of them like this is like the big spot of the match where the two of them punched each other at the same time yes and then they both they both went down, down. <laughs> it's like my god and the, the crowd was so into it <laughs> can you imagine if it I mean if you're WWE Arena, imagine if you went out to Raw and it was half empty. Yeah. People would just, they wouldn't be having it. They, I mean, if, if a crowd is visibly, like, small, TNA, that company, mm. oftentimes has visibly small crowds. And you do get the sense of the audience looking around and going, oh, this is a bit shit, isn't it? Wasn't it one of the shows or matches we watched um, where they had a really small crowd? So they, Or was it Mick Foley's autobiography, maybe, where they only put them in half of the stadium? Oh, yeah, that was in uh, yeah, Mick Foley's book. Yeah. We talked about that recently. They only filled them in on one side. Like. That's clever. It is, yeah. But, I mean, here, I guess it's just that you had strewn about and still they captivated them. Yeah. And you knew shit was going down when Jerry Lawler pulls down his strap which I know it is the equivalent of Ash Ketchum pulling his hat to the side. Yeah. If if Kurt Hennig was a Pokemon, his ass are being caught right now. Jerry put Hennig in the uh, atomic drop. Oh yeah, the atomic called, drop. And Hennig reacted amazingly. He started like staggering around as though he'd been like kicked up the ass. The idea is that the knee is meant to land right on the tailbone, so it's kind of meant to send it like kind of a yeah. You ever... totally looked like I know how that felt. <laughs> That's exactly I could feel it's it. Great selling. So, Amazing selling. And I will say it's probably one of Mr. Perfect slash Kurt Hennig's biggest points is the fact that he was an amazing seller. We didn't see a whole... I mean, we saw it here with like the punches and stuff. Some of the things in the later matches we see are just like, wow, amazing. Yeah. Really, really great stuff. 
The end of this match comes when Kurt Hennig locks on the dreaded sleeper hold, and in a finish as true and tried as the old-timey nature of this match itself, when Jerry Lawler walks over to the ropes and throws Kurt over those ropes, he loses the match via disqualification. I was so confused by that. The match was over. Yeah. Kurt you, won. You rewound it and was like, do you see what happened there? I was like, oh, I'm so confused. Why? What? No? What happened? I didn't realise that if you throw someone over the ropes, yeah. that's disqualification. But yeah. if you throw someone through or under, that's not. That's not. But in those old time, the old timey promotions, if you went over that top rope, you were in trouble. Like. What if you stepped over the top rope? Again, same, same, same difference. They used to do like an ending to like the, the the ending of the match they used to do with everyone back in the day was heel champion was like thrown over the top rope at some point during a fracas when the referee is down. Jeremy Clarkson involved. Exactly, yeah. Jeremy Clarkson thrown everyone around. You yeah. know, didn't get his stake. And then later on, the babyface beats the heel once the referee has come back to it. Beats the heel clean in the middle of the ring. And is like, yes, they've won the championship. And then the person comes back and goes, no, he threw him over the ropes earlier on. Disqualification. To think that nearly every wrestler that you love at the moment on the active roster, as part of their arsenal, jumps over the top rope. Yeah. <laughs> to think that it was illegal. Yeah, it's weird. Come a long way in 30 so, years or so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so is there like an official way to enter the ring as well? Do you have to like go over or under the it, ropes? Entering the ring didn't matter. It was just going out of the ring. If you went over those top ropes, game over, man. It game seems over. so convoluted. Very convoluted. Kurt did very well for himself in the AWA. He was AWA champion, which at the time was considered to be a world championship. So even though he never won the WWF championship or the, the WCW championship, I mean, I personally and many would re- regard him as being a former world champion because the AWA belt was a was a pretty big deal. Right. Maybe not when he was holding it, but in its lineage, it was considered to be like a world championship. But like most people from AWA who were successful and young and had any sort of promise to them, he was absorbed by Vince McMahon's giant World Wrestling Federation machine. I'll take that talent. I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. Huh? Can someone please make a YouTube poop involving Vince McMahon? If I have a territory and you have a territory and my influence goes across the Midwest, I drink your talent. Oh dear. Oh boy. So, anyway, Kurt Hennig, the natural resource himself, debuted in the World Wrestling Federation in the late 80s and was being packaged with what is considered to be one of the the classic wrestling gimmicks, which was Mr. Perfect. There was a rumor at the time that someone else was also up for the Mr. Perfect gimmick. I don't think anyone can make any sort of argument that anyone other than Kurt Hennig could have played this character. Who comes up with gimmicks like that then? At the time, it would have been like Vince and his like inner circle of 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 agents and the producers. hooded cowl of stonemasons. At the like in the, the late eighties, there was a couple of people who would have been close with Vince's father, who then Vince had in his circle, like Chief J. Strongbow, Blackjack Mulligan. Those are his, uh, Lou Albano. These were all guys who either he owed. A lot too because they were big wigs in his father's territory or he had them around out of loyalty or had them around because he had to pay them because of deals that they made to get out of the, the territory or whatever. So he did have an inner circle and he didn't really have a writing team back then. It wouldn't have been like that. So it would have been improvised? Or? It just would have been like you know, a bunch of wrestling bookers sitting around kind of going, right, who, what have we got like? What's what's an idea for a character? You know, hmm. the, the kind of hive mind. In 
No one will ever admit this, but a group of bookers sitting down and owners talking about how they're going to do a product and a committee of writers and producers sitting down and talking about how they're going to do the product. There's a lot more similarities there than people will let on. Right. It is essentially quite, you know, this guy's writing a show, come up with characters, you know, it's a similar thing as it was back in those days. But Kurt Hennig, as Mr. Perfect, debuted through a series of amazing little vignettes, little video packages hyping up this character. Why does it laugh that they're called vignettes? Well, in vignette, I mean, that word, it's one of those words like Jezebel that I know has a meaning outside of wrestling, but oh. I only know it from within wrestling. Well, I only know it in Photoshop. If you're adding a vignette, it adds like a darker or lighter part of the... I don't have to explain this again without diagrams, <laughs> but the outside is normally darker. Right, that's, gotcha. That's a typical vignette. Well, the character of Mr. Perfect, which is introduced through these vignettes was that of a perfectionist. In not the sense that he wanted everything to be perfect, in the sense that he did everything absolutely perfectly. So we saw a number of these amazing little videos of Mr. Perfect kicking ass at all sorts of sports and activities, including him throwing a football and catching it himself, him playing um, chess, just like winning handsomely. Another one where he played chess and the kid was like, you can't move there. And he's like, I win! I'm Mr. Perfect! Amazing. Him playing like frisbee, horseshoes, golf. Everything. And the thing about it was as well, was that he could actually do all of those things. Yeah, but you said it takes a lot of takes to do it. On the, the documentary that they showed with him, it was like he could do all those things, but he was like, he got nervous in front of a camera doing these things. Because this is before he debuted and they're like putting a camera on him. You can't prove that he can definitely do them then, right? I don't know, I guess it's just you know, people's baseball star Wade Boggs vouching for him, so I mean, I, I assume that means something. Really? But he, he, you do see him, he can hit you know, the hole, he can hit the, the amazing shot on the, on the putter with, on, on the green in golf, he can catch this football, he can you know, hit a home run, all this stuff. He is very, very talented. He yeah. was like this, he was amazing at all these things, and that is kind of where the gimmick came from, is because he had this reputation as being like, who the fuck is great at horseshoes? Yeah. You know, and he was. He was really good at horseshoes. No one is good at horseshoes. Yeah, and he, he was like, he was an absolute stud in, you know, in college and, and high school and all this, you know, doing all these different um, sports and all that stuff. So he was always very highly competitive as a result of that. Just naturally good at things, I guess. He was, yeah. And that's, we ended up seeing Mr. Perfect. I mean, we first saw him when he was against Hogan. He was brought in originally as an, an opponent for Hulk Hogan. Whoa. That would and, have been a huge deal for him, right? Oh, absolutely. Because he was brought in as like a main event. You know, he yeah. main evented Madison Square Garden shows against Hulk Hogan. So, he, I mean, if you do that, no matter what else happens in your career, you've, you've made it. Yeah. You've sold out the big arenas with Hulk Hogan during the 80s. You know, why don't they, that's it. Like, you know, you've done, you've done it's the It's downhill from there. <laughs> it, it, it is, in, in a way. Hogan did say, like, after Kurt passed, that he thought that he was his best opponent ever in terms really? of skill. I remember watching it. I was like, there's no... It was like, oh, Hogan said that Mr. Perfect's the best of all time. Like, there's no fucking way. And then, like, we watch it. And, like, Hogan's like, he is the, the best opponent I've ever had. I'm like, right, rewind it. I want to make sure it's actually him. <laughs> Slow well, it you, down. If you look at the mouth very carefully, you can actually see it's been doctored. Oh, you can see that he's actually a reptile and not <laughs> Hogan at all. But Mr. Perfect, soon after his main event uh, feud with Hogan, found himself lower down the card. Because back in those days, the World Heavyweight Championship was for people like Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior and feuding with people like Andre the Giant and the Ultimate Warrior. But uh, the thing was, the Intercontinental Championship was very much the, here's where the actual wrestling is going to be tonight here, folks. Your Bret Hart's, your Shawn Michaels, your, your Kevin Von Erichs, your 
Mr. Perfects were um, all feuding over this belt. Why is that? Because they knew that the Hogan match was probably going to be around five, six minutes long, which will involve <laughs> a lot of hot dogging, grandstanding. I love fucking saying hot dogging. What is hot dogging and grandstanding? As in Hogan pushes someone and goes, and poses. That's called hot dogging. Hot dogging, yeah. As in just show it, you know, it's... Schauspiel, as the Germans would say, it's just playing around. You know? Right, I see. You know, I remember when you said when you saw Hogan and Andre, it was like they weren't even fighting. Yeah. They were like two men pretending to fight, or two yeah. dads in slow motion. <laughs> now, obviously, Vince McMahon can't go into a town or a territory that has a history of amazing wrestling and put that on the card and be like, yeah, WWF rules. The reason he was able to do well in those places is because then he would put Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, Mr. Perfect, all these workhorse wrestlers who could wrestle a very fast technical style that the more purest wrestling fans could appreciate. See, that just... Doesn't that devalue the value of the heavyweight belt? In a, in an odd stroke of chance, what it actually managed to do instead was make the Intercontinental belt more valuable. Really? Because they kept them very, very separate. And if you were the Intercontinental champion, it was like you were saying... I'm the workhorse of this company. Right. You know, Hogan may put the people in the stands to come here and watch this show, but I'm going to be the people, that, I'm going to be the person or the match that will be talked about afterwards as being the best match on the card. Would you say that still kind of happens today? No, absolutely not. Really? No. And the reason that is, is because there's so much TV now, the Intercontinental Champion is going to wrestle against guys who are also wrestling for the world title. The Intercontinental Champion loses on TV all the time. That would have been unheard of back in those days. If you're the Intercontinental Champion, you were like you were one of the guys. Right. So you didn't lose. You you won. You were protected. You certainly wouldn't lose against someone challenging for another belt. They kept them kind of separate almost. Almost like different divisions. I'm worried this makes me seem really old-fashioned, but I kind of like that. Oh no, I mean, everyone likes that. I it mean, makes it very easy to follow. Absolutely. And I mean, I think it makes... Uh, what I don't like now is that there's kind of an inconsistency. When someone like, say, Kevin Owens wins the Intercontinental Championship, all of a sudden the, they, they like him or they like him as a character, so they'll put a bit of time and money into it. Mm. So it'll seem like, oh, the Intercontinental, that means like that means a lot, right? And then other times when, like, say, I don't know, Big E or someone who became Intercontinental Champion and they just they didn't give a shit. Yeah. So they put no effort into it. So it's just It very much match. seems like the value of the belt is very dependable on whether or not they like whoever is holding it I at think the time. Back in the eighties it was more kind of the brand was the championships and the matches for those championships, whereas now it's much more individual. It doesn't matter about the Intercontinental Championship. It what matters is is Kevin Owens a star, is you know, whoever else might be challenging for that belt, are they a star? Is Dean Ambrose a star? Is you know that that's what it is now. They they don't they view the belts now as being more like a prop yeah. for the story as opposed to the story or the, well, no the wonder thing. I find it so confusing with all these different belts and everything. Oh yeah, I mean because they don't they don't make it out like it's a big deal. If you no. like Kevin Owens wins the the IC belt, so what? Why is that a big deal? Explain to me like I'm saying this to the commentators. Like explain yeah. to me why we should care. Whereas if you could see then. The level of competition in this next match we watched, Mr. Perfect and Bret Hart at SummerSlam for the Intercontinental Belt, the crowd react, the announcers react, and the wrestlers act as if this is the most important motherfucking thing ever. And this yeah. wasn't even the main event. I love it. Really pioneering to see this style in WWF at the time. I mean, at the same time when you were seeing Andre the Giant bring new meaning to the phrase lower back pain, mm. you had Bret Hart and Mr. Perfect... The excellence of execution taking on perfection. I love that. And I, I, one thing I will point out as well is that in this match, Mr. Perfect, he had a lot of managers in his time, it seems. He also had the genius, that fellow who read poetry. 
But um, he had coach here. Did you notice his coach? His coach? Yeah, the guy who had the sunglasses and a little whistle in grey who was just smiling weirdly all oh, the time. Oh, that was his manager? Yeah. It's <laughs> just this random dude. How strange. Very, very strange, man. I will say, seeing Mr. Perfect here in a WWF ring for the first time, one thing I immediately want to talk about is his amazing music. Because I mean, the first time we, we watched a Mr. Perfect match, it was like, yeah, that's some pretty good music. By the last Mr. Perfect match, you were humming along. Oh, I love his music. It's so good. I've loved it from the beginning. It's re I don't know Isn't how to best on describe it. 2K16. It is on 2K16, yeah. yeah. It's, it's amazing. Brilliant. It's proper, like, it, to me, in the same lines as Samoa Joe, uh, Apollo Crews, all those kinds of beefy, hyped up. Yeah, yeah. Entrance music that gets you really excited. Mr. Perfect's music always struck me as being like the theme for a movie or something like that. Me, Adam, used to always laugh saying it was like he was with the composer saying, no, make it more grandiose. You have to understand (laughs) I'm a really big deal here. More perfect. (laughs) You can see Mr. Perfect's dingling in the promo bit at the beginning. (laughs) Just thought I'd say that. His cup. I mean, his, his protrusion. Cup? I don't think he was wearing a cup. So you can see the package. I saw there. his dingling. As in his actual pingween. Ping, his ping pong was was literally. Ping pong. It was literally right there. His fireman. <laughs> his weenor. Was it very distracting to watch him wrestle then? No, it was just that promo bit at the beginning. It was just there, kind of in your face, you looking can at, see at you. The shape of it and you everything. You can see why coach is so happy now. You know. <laughs> The speed at which the two of these start wrestling, oh my god. Now it is all like, you know, chain wrestling is what you call it, when the guys are you know, in holes and switching, reversing those holes into other holes and having a big sequence. But the speed at which they do it and the fact that the overriding thing is that Brett has him in a headlock. Mm. And he has him in a headlock for a good four or so minutes. And if you would tell me that at the start, I'd be like, oh, that's going to be boring. Head- <laughs> headlocks are boring. Yeah, it's going to be a headlock. I don't see ya. you. Know, head- <laughs> what are you catching your breath? But they just did it as a game of one-upsmanship. And just the yeah. little things like Brett you know, shaking his head going, nope, I got you in this head. Like, oh man, I fucking absolutely love it. It was so good. And Brett looks very cool here as you like well. his uh, cool jacket? I love it. In fact, his whole entrance was amazing. So, so cool. Cool theme, cool jacket. And giving his sunglasses away so to a, cool. a young fan. What a cool guy. So cool. What a cool guy. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that he's... Uh, He's recovering from cancer. Yeah, with successful surgery as of uh, yeah, last year. That's uh, fantastic news. It's really great to hear. So Mr. Perfect, as he's being outmatched by Bret Hart throughout the opening moments of this match, tries to leave, which leads Bret to rip his singlet. Totally not on purpose. It was a bit sexy, wasn't it? It was. Uh, it was oops, very... all my singlet came off. And then you got around a minute or two of Mr. Perfect kind of going, will I go with this? Will I go to the back at another one? Can I put it back over? No, he stretched out. He did out. seem, yeah, really awkward about it. He like, clearly was distracted by it. He kept fiddling with it. And, like... <laughs> also, it melted off him again like butter. Yeah. I'm fascinated with the way wrestlers can tear clothes. I mean, I, I would have assumed that it was like some sort of heavy-duty lycra or whatever. But... I mean, he made it look like tissue paper. I guess, I guess there was Brett was really into it, you know. Yeah. Brett, Brett really wanted to, <laughs> to get him back in the ring. Oh, one thing I really loved about Mr. Perfect's style here was that every time Bret Hart would get Mr. Perfect into a hold, he'd get out of it by like rolling backwards. Oh, he flipped yeah, doing his a legs. handstand. Yeah, yeah. And then flipping back over. It was so good. Really, it wasn't just like getting up. He was like flipping out. Like he's really yeah. like. He's like a rubber band man in some like kind of ways. He put like a little performance into every reversal. Yeah, it was fantastic. Such showmanship. A flourish. A flourish. A flourish. Very nice. Just a little, he was a little parsley on the side of the plate <laughs> there is what, what Perfect was doing. 
I love how Perfect starts off the match looking like a statue doused in baby oil. Oh, yeah. Because he's all oily and, like, hair is perfect. But as the match goes on, as his frustration builds, it evolves into an afro of evaporating super noodles. Mm-hmm. I love that his hair gets shit as the match goes on. It does. Just, it gets really There's, like, a bad. picture of Dorian Gray thing going on <laughs> here. The more holes that are reversed, the more grotesque the hair. <laughs> <laughs> The camera work in this match, mm. I don't, I, I've not noticed it in other matches as much, but this one particularly, the camera work was really good. It was all like corner shots and very quite fast paced, very interesting angles. There were more fixed angles in this than there is on the current product. I just really liked it. There was one particular moment where he went from the corner and the, or he flipped him into the corner or yeah, something, yeah, and yeah. the camera was there ready because they were all like obviously cameramen on their, and on then their you feet. And bam right into that turn Right into it, yeah. It really felt like they were coming at you. Where I think what was nice about it is that the style now with the wrestling videography is to kind of is to, to, to cut away as the impact is happening stuff like that to kind of protect the mover or things like that um, I think the camera work that they do in wrestling is, is amazing in WWE oh, yeah. they are unbelievable at it but here having that fixed camera in the corner and the guy is just belting into it and that's a stiff corner and he just goes wham right into it and again, you can see at the same angle, everyone going into that. It does kind of give a consistency and kind of like a, oh, that was sore. You know, that hurt. Absolutely. Actually, generally, I think a lot of things in this match looked really, I don't want to say stiff. I'm not sure if that's the right term here, but it looked really painful, genuinely. It looked real. Yeah, it, it looked did. like there were and two. And it sounded real. Yeah, because there was impact to everything they were doing. Yeah, and like even when Brett was doing simple moves, like I said at the start, like his slide headlock takeover, he would spin and bam, smash onto the mat. And that, a lot of that has to do with the harder mats back in those days, and those guys going hell for leather. They were like hitting each other. I'm gonna say, oh, they're hitting each other hard because they weren't like stiffing each other and like punching yeah. each other and stuff. They were just doing snug, tight wrestling holes. And both guys knew exactly what to do. So no one's going to get injured because they both knew where their bodies had to be at all times. And that's why it's it's like the perfect dance almost. Yeah, because it was so graceful. Yeah. It's really interesting seeing this kind of like graceful wrestling style that is also incredibly like, it seemed high impact. And also to point out as well that this kind of match with these two guys, Brett would have mentioned in his book, for instance, that this would have been a match that they would go in with maybe a couple of ideas in the back of their heads, but the rest of it is just, let's listen wow. to the crowd, see what they think, let's take it where... And that's that's how they build a story. They, they tell a story as opposed to jam in a load of spots. And I think that's really cool here. Mr. Perfect and the ref square off after he gets like a close two count. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love referees getting in the face of wrestlers. It's absolutely brilliant. And as the, the story of the match goes on, as, as Mr. Perfect has been kind of out-wrestled by Brett on so many occasions, he starts to slowly fight more dirty. You know, he th- starts throwing Brett by the hair. He yes. starts slapping Brett in the face, you know? Brett tried to suplex Perfect, but I noticed he couldn't get a grip on his tight ass. Oh, of course, yeah. He was just, like, slipping all over his He couldn't get a proper grip to, like, suplex him. <laughs> so the the dangers so of wrestling funny. an oily man, like. Yeah. such a tight, muscled ass. Mr. Perfect hits his finishing manoeuvre at this point, which is the Perfect Plex. A move which involves him, it's like a regular suplex, except he puts his hand underneath his opponent's leg and he clasps his hands together in a perfect arching move. And this perfect plex, which is being you know, put everyone away, essentially, except for Hulk Hogan, Brett kicks out of and he freaks his out. His little manager dude threw a tantrum. <laughs> yeah, coach says, <laughs> oh, I missed. <laughs> I'll get you next time. <laughs> Amazing spot, one which Mr. Perfect manages to work into more matches than not, which is the funny corner crotch spot. 
where Mr. Perfect is thrown across the ring and manages to land in a way that his two legs hit the bottom of the corner ring post does and that, crotches himself. Does that go wrong often, that move? It'd be painful. I mean, it's went wrong in the sense that he's done it before and he's been just shy and he's kind of shimmied himself into <laughs> it. And like, oh, my dick, you know? He doesn't actually, like, for real shoot hit himself in the dick though. no he's not KO'd himself it's just the fact that he's so light footed and he's like a feather that he manages to kind of float himself over and just be kind of like he hits and then he's like right in there he, sli- he slides into it in one fell he's swoop he's very yeah he's like a butterfly in fact I've coined a new term so I like flip de doo mm-hmm. there's a new term for wrestlers like um Mr. Perfect. And I think Bret Hart fits this as well, which is a roly-poly roly-poly wrestler move. So kind of a lot of chain wrestling, a lot of reversals, a lot of... No, literally rolling around. (laughs) He did. He rolled around loads in the match. He was very rolling. He rolled out of the ring. He rolled into the ring. He rolled around out of moves. It's great. Do a roll. Get in shape. everywhere. (laughs) Bret starts his comeback. He knocks out the coach. He hit the coach, a man wearing glasses. <laughs> you can't do that. You liked uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan on commentary. Oh yeah, he was fantastic. Very funny man. Perfect starts attacking Bret Hart's tummy. He starts going all these horrible stomps and leg drops. And in one of my favourite moves ever where Bret just looks like he's completely like, his midsection has been completely destroyed. And Mr. Perfect just drops another leg on him and Bret just holds on to it and gets up and gets him into the sharpshooter. And I love when someone can think of doing their move from a new a new area, a new mm-hmm. angle. It's what makes Randy Orton so popular. The fact really? that he can hit his RKO in Oh, like he's gonna hit in a new place, new position, new new configuration. And Brett would do that a lot with the sharpshooter. And perfect immediately just screams that he quits. And I love that because it makes the move seem dangerous. Yeah. That like a second he's in it, boom. Now it's when Miz was put in the STF by John yeah. Cena, everyone just looked like a shithead. Here though, it really felt that he'd worn him down and it was a game of chess and he checkmated him right there. He had him in the middle of the ring in the sharpshooter. <laughs> Brett wins, disrobes Mr. Perfect Seriously? to win this bra and panties match and win the Divas Championship. I wish he'd shown me this before the Divas like, bra and panties stuff. It made me feel a bit better. <laughs> but at least Mr. Perfect went through it too. Perfect and Flair were big on having their clothes ripped off I just wish that, if the situation called for it. I just wish that Brett had like, given him a little spank after ripping his singlet <laughs> off. Bad boy! What did you think of this match? So good. So, so good. I've been well up for watching more Bret uh, Hart versus Mr. Perfect matches. There is another rematch between these two, which some, some say is better, but this is widely regarded as me to one of the best matches of all time. So good. This was the reason why SummerSlam for many years had the reputation as being having you know the kick-ass match. Really? Back in 1991? Yeah. God. Really, I mean, think, yeah, 1991. Again... That's why why the hardcore fans were there. You had the kids and the the adults who didn't really they didn't really like wrestling, but they liked the the pomp and circumstances and the superheroes and the say your prayers and take your vitamins and I don't want my daughter to date any black people. All that kind mm-hmm. of wholesome stuff they were doing yeah. back then. Uh, they were there for that. The wrestling fans were there for the wrestling, and it was there at the same time. To think the main event of this pay per view was like Hogan and Savage against. You know, Andre the Giant and the Million Dollar Man in a match where people would have been rolling around like parade floats. Here was a match where the pace was high. And another uh, amazing encounter that we, we went on to then for 1993, a, another familiar face is you have Mr. Perfect taking on Ric Flair, an episode of Monday Night Raw. This is what many would casually refer to as being the dark ages of wrestling. How come? Um, steroid scandal had happened where Vince McMahon was under trial from the FBI for allegedly supplying his wrestlers with steroids. What? More on that in a future episode. What? What? He was acquitted. Is he some... Was he a big drug dealer? No, he was acquitted. He, he wasn't. So he was. it's proven that he didn't do it. 
it was not proven beyond a reasonable doubt. What does acquitted mean? Acquitted mean that he was not found guilty on the charges. Well, he was found not guilty or wasn't found guilty? He was found not guilty oh, okay. on the charges. Hogan testified against him, though. Really? Yeah, and Hogan obviously went bye-bye after this. Remember when we saw Hogan? He was looking really, really slim in later yeah. years, around 1993, Pastamania. Yeah, there you go. So was Hogan saying that Vince gave him... He was saying that that he Vince was giving wrestlers, but not drugs. Hulk Hogan. Not Hulk Hogan, of course not. Right. But I mean, the, the the issue being was that you had Vince McMahon who was in a position where he wanted to make it the product a little bit more edgier, a little bit more teeth on it, but he couldn't because they had a giant magnifying glass on them now, which is you better be clean as a whistle. Oh, that's when they brought in all the really goofy, silly characters, yeah. isn't it? Like Mister Hammer or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, like that's where you had like you know Bret Hart as your champion because again he's not a muscle head, is he? No one's going to say that he's on steroids, wholesome stuff. Move away from the muscle man. Ric Flair was was around at the time as well. Was he not? I don't think of Rick no, Flair being f- very wholesome. F- well, Flair not on steroids, though. That's the thing. They, if they saw bodies... Just on everything else. Yeah, it's just the bodies. Get rid of the bodies, okay? Bodies? As in the big fucking roidy guys who look like they're about to explode. As in the guys who probably couldn't fit the steroid needle in them anymore because they were full, you know? Right, they were okay. full to the brim. So that's why we see here Monday Night Raw, which had just started around this time, in front of a very modest crowd. So this is a loser leaves town match. Loser leaves town. Now, am I right in thinking that those matches tend to be uh, to justify why a wrestler has left the company? Yeah. It's just like, oh, they're leaving the company. We'll put them in a loser leaves town match, thus creating a story. You have lost the loser leaves town match. Out you get. I mean, the reason it was called loser leaves town was because back in the days of the territory, Mm. I say I've been working in Florida, in Tampa, Florida, for the for the Grahams for like three years or whatever, okay, right, um, and then I you know was a big heel or whatever, but I you know done all the feuds, done all the stuff I was going to do, and I'm going to go over to you know to, to Bill Watts instead. <laughs> I would lose a loser leaves town match, so there's a big spectacle that I lose, and I lose like oh you'll never see me again, and then I sh- it's a reason for me to leave there and show up in the other town. Does that also then? Protect the company a bit in terms of not losing face. Yeah, it's, and again, it's the company not just saying that oh, you know, wrestlers are randomly leaving. Yeah, I mean, we didn't want <laughs> to say here. Ship. It's not a loser decides that WCW is going to give him a little bit more money, and yeah. then you know, political environment has cooled down a bit, so Ric Flair can leave town. Match. Yeah, <laughs> loser leaves town a little bit better. I mean, they've called him. You know, in Attitude Era, they called it like pink slip on a pole you had with... with pink a, well, slip on a pink pole? Pink slip on a pole. Oh, is that because when you get fired, you get, you get a pink, pink slip. slip? Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, P45 on a pole. Never really happened, though. <laughs> UK version, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, or your fired matches, things like that. Right. So we headed over to the network to watch this. I mean, Joe was was obviously buzzing after watching, you know, uh, SummerSlam 1991, you know, big-ass crowd, big arena. Then we go over to Raw 1993 and... 23 years ago, Raw wasn't particularly um, firing on all cylinders, as the first thing that Joe saw, with no context, was the Repo Man appearing, and he was going to repossess the Macho Man's hat. (laughs) (laughs) Not much context could be given to make that make sense for you. I just remember there being a Slim Jim ad beforehand. (laughs) It was as well, With Macho Man, I think it was Macho Man Randy Savage. Yeah, he he likes his Slim Jims. It was so weird. I know. I have this theory because Joe loves pepperamis. I think I'd love a Slim Jim. Slim Jims would be right up her alley. We've got any American listeners who fancy sending me a Slim Jim. I've always wanted to try one. Joe's always wanted to snap into it. You know, I mean, she just never had the chance to. So, loser leaves town. Bobby Heenan, who is on commentary for this one, Bobby the Brain, he was, just to give a little story for this match, Ric Flair was like the guy, he was the champion for a while. Mr. Perfect was like his henchman. Bobby Heenan was the manager. And now Mr. Perfect is kind of like, hey, I'm, you know, 
I, I'm Mr. Perfect, I don't need to take this crap from anyone. He's riled up against Ric Flair. So Mr. Perfect is the good guy here. Okay. Ric Flair is the heel. And Bobby Heenan on commentary is like the, oh no, my perfect dream team has fallen apart. So whose side is Heenan on? Heenan's then? on Ric Flair's side. Right. Always, always, always on Ric Flair's side. So is he still Ric Flair's manager here? Yes, even though he's on commentary at the same time. Yeah. Because he very nonchalantly tries to slip Ric Flair a hammer early on. It's so funny. <laughs> Hang on a second. <laughs> he, oh my God. Like, I, I don't know anything about Heenan at all, except like that and that makes me love him that was so so funny the idea of him slipping something while on commentary is a, is a thing I enjoy anyway so but the fact it's a hammer it's like not even <laughs> just hammer. not like a bag of powder or something wrapped up a little blade like something subtle and not, not even something you no. put in the tights you know just no here's a hammer hit him on the here's head with it. and also like interrupting him to go just one second guys I just need to give something to Flair <laughs> He's giving him a hammer. Everyone, turn around. Stop looking. Stop looking. <laughs> so in this loser leaves town match. Once again, we get more incredible wrestling. I mean, Ric Flair is you know one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. It's really interesting actually because I've not seen him wrestle much. Yeah, you've, you've seen him you know in the I've, corner of Charlotte a lot. On I've TV. seen him in the corner of Charlotte, and I've seen him when I <laughs> wife swap. <laughs> on wife swap, celebrity wife swap, which everyone should. Well, we'll cover that on his episode, but just watch it if you get a chance. It's sad. But I did also, when I first started watching wrestling a couple years ago, I remember seeing him in, it was it Evolution with Randy Orton and Batista? Oh yes, he was a part of that group with, with Triple H as well. He didn't wrestle much in that match that I saw. Mm-hmm. But Oh, was that the one with the Rock and Sock connection? Yes, because yeah. that's all the matches I yeah, watched yeah. first, were all Rock and Sock, and he happened to be up against them, so. Mm. So we used to see Flair here, much younger Flair, obviously. Younger Flair looking so much like Charlotte. Yeah, really crazy. Like, again, like... With the, with the windows, the eyes, the nose, just that the kind of part of the face. Yeah, it's like really hard to like pinpoint exactly what it is about them that makes them look so similar. Cause like, it's the it's the, eye, yeah. it's the eyebrows and is the eyes, eyebrows? I yeah. think. And maybe a little bit the nose. A, a little bit, I guess. But... All these wrestlers you can only identify through this part. If they all go to like a eyes wide shut type situation, no one will know who's related to who. Yeah. <laughs> the upper half of the nose maybe is Charlotte. Lower half of Ric Flair's nose is quite quite bulbous bulbous Bulb- fast and bulbous so we get some incredible wrestling off these two in the start unbelievable they start off though by having a slapping war <laughs> yes back and forth I mean Flair obviously goes for the chops you know and, yeah. uh, there are a lot of chops here I mean to quote Adam Bibolo both of these men are having chops for their dinner tonight because <laughs> my god they got a whole plate full here um, I was thinking when we were watching this match it seems like there's a huge amount of tension between Perfect and Flair. Mm. Now, is there any kind of backstory to the... F- I mean, you were saying about the whole manager thing and Perfect being... When you say tension, what do you mean? Like, like, at the start of the match, they just... There was this atmosphere between them. Like, they fucking hate each other and we're going to kill them. I think that was because they're just two of the best, to be honest. It's just amazing. It was like... No, they, they got on fine, I immediately yeah. felt like there was this kind of... I, I don't necessarily like... mean shoot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, within the story, perhaps. But it just seemed like there was this incredible tension I think what it was is that you had like Mr. Perfect coming out of being an inactive wrestler and Flair who was leaving and like this had a really nice little story here that they'd kind of put together and again much like the AWA situation very small crowd we're in the Manhattan Centre here I think and there's like maybe 200 people there like not for WWE standards that's fucking miserably small you know that's way way smaller than they usually would do these days considering I didn't know Perfect was Ric Flair's henchman before you just told me just now but you got that there was an issue there was some kind of yeah. yeah 
And I think it was it was really well played out throughout this Incredible. match. Incredible. The sequences here were at the start. Now that we have uh, Mr. Perfect being a face, it was cool to see him being the good guy in the match for a change. With him getting the upper hand on Flair all the time, and Flair is great at you know selling desperation. Like Flair loses like one like kind of encounter, and then he's on his hands and he's going, "No, <laughs> please don't hurt me anymore." Oh God, I'm sorry to bring it back to Bobby Heenan again, who I do love and the Hammer. <laughs> he uh, he had this the hammer when he was trying to approach Flair with it. He had it under his shirt, <laughs> and I just I, I've just realised in my notes I've written, "What are you buying?" <laughs> Got some rare gimmicks on sale, stranger. Oh goodness gracious! And um, both men get busted open in this one as well. We the, the blood is flowing in this. Did uh, they match. blade or is this shoot? No, this was blading. I would have said because and... in the Jerry Lawler one, I forgot to mention, but you pointed out. That he in at one point you see him bending over and you oh, yeah. see him blading. Jerry was a. Uh, you ever notice how wrestlers get itchy eyebrows after they run into the corner oh, and then they, they they get a bit shy like Boo from uh, Mario. They, they turn their face and they're like, <laughs> "That's be... what Boo is doing in Mario. He's fucking gigging himself." I wonder if they've got a little pocket mirror and they're quickly checking their makeup. <laughs> oh, oh, my eye eye shadows. My slipped. contouring is on point. My <laughs> cat eyeliner is. Uh... <laughs> So yeah, both guys get busted open here. I think they got in trouble for this because this was during very, very PG times. Obviously in a episode of Raw that starts off with a man called The Repo Man saying how he's going to steal someone's hat yeah. and ends in two men donning the crimson mask that obviously people were going to get in trouble. But what are they going to do to Ric Flair? Fire him? You know? True, true. So both men get busted open and then we get Ric Flair slapping on the figure four leg lock which is his finishing hold and he was cheating while he was in it because in wrestling if you're a bad guy and you have someone in a submission hold if you grab onto the ropes to give you extra leverage that is cheating. Right, yeah, because that was really confusing because he had his hands on the ropes and the guys on the commentary were literally freaking out like, oh my God, I can't believe Flair is doing this. I was like, what? He's just got his hand on the rope. So in wrestling, okay, putting a body part on ropes, particularly ropes that the higher up the ropes, the more leverage or advantage. But if you're pinning someone, you put your feet on the ropes, you're getting an unfair advantage because you're getting the extra leverage that puts more gravity on your opponent's face. Say you're, you're rolling someone up to pin them and your feet are up on the ropes, it's harder for them to kick out because you're at an angle and you're much more pressure being exerted. Okay. The same... Logic is meant to apply if they're in a submission hold that by putting your hands or your feet on the ropes and holding onto it for leverage, you're increasing the pressure of the hold so it's more painful. But then I'm confused because if that's an illegal move, why wasn't he disqualified for it? Because the ref didn't see it. Oh, bullshit. The ref kept, There's cameras. The ref keeps looking down at Mr. Perfect saying, do you submit? And then he looks up and Rick Ferry's like, I ain't touching nothing, ref. You know, and he puts his hands off it. It gave him a cat and mouse. I don't know if it's because I grew up with Robot Wars, but it seems ridiculous to me that it's the referee in the match who doesn't have access to see everything going on is the decider. Whereas in Robot Wars... You rewatch the footage. If you know, if they weren't sure who won the match, there'd be the judges and the referees, and they'd have a little chat, and then be like, "Right, we've watched the replays, and this is who won." Now, why is it seems a bit silly that they've? I've this... long since accepted the fact that in wrestling, if referees were suddenly to develop competence, it would go away with ninety nine percent of the fun. <laughs> I mean, if Craig Charles was just there going, "No, let's watch the video footage. No, Ric Flair is disqualified. Yay." <laughs> Thanks a lot, Craig Charles. You've ruined wrestling again. <laughs> but yeah, Flair is cheating non-stop in this. That was his thing always, that Flair was the dirtiest player in the game. And he was like constantly like, 
you know, when the referee was like looking at Flair and he's like, are you cheating? And Ric Flair had like his leg down over his throat, choking him. He's going, I'm not cheating. Look at my hands. Look at my hands. Look at my hands. Where are my hands? I'm not cheating. <laughs> he's like a magician, basically. Yeah. Perfect blood falling all over his face. Looks so scary in his noodle hair. Blonde wrestlers and blood. I think that's why this, yeah. this match was particularly maybe shocking with the blood because they're both so yeah. blonde. Flair, if you've seen some of the instances of Flair when he's busted open, he literally looks like he's dyed his hair red because he's literally just sodden. That Jeez. beautiful, perfect, white bouffant hair just becomes this like scraggly red mess. And yeah, the same with perfect. Blonde hair and blood are a fucking potent combination in yeah. wrestling, like really. Ric Flair took something out of his shin guard. Yes, a, a loaded object. It looks like a piece of paper, like crumpled. It was, I think it's meant to be knuckle dusters that he's wrapped over in tape. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's the old-timey loaded object in wrestling. And then he hid it again, that dirty cheat. No good sneak, Ric Flair. <laughs> Mr. Perfect hulks up and the two start trading pins. Really amazing back and forth. Like This like final sequence is, so is breathtaking. And again, there are a couple of hundred people in, in the room here in this match, but they're acting like it's WrestleMania, you know, and... For, Mr. Perfect hits the perfect plex, gets the one, two, three on Ric Flair and uh, picks up the win here. As soon as uh, Mr. Perfect wins, you just hear this like long beeping noise. It's going beep, 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 beep. And I'm pretty sure it's from Bobby Heenan on commentary just swearing. (laughs) (laughs) Just going, fucking shit face, fucking. (laughs) Great match. What do you think of it? So good. Yeah. Really, really good stuff. Really, really good. We had Mr. Perfect, unfortunately, due to a, a number of reasons, injuries being the main one, was moving away from the world of wrestling and became a manager, then also started doing commentary, during at which time someone alleged that he uh, coined the phrase Triple H, when referring to Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Yeah! He put that on a tweet, that was really interesting. Have you heard anything about that? Never heard that before, but it wouldn't surprise you because it wouldn't sync up with the time. Really? You know, of what he was doing. But Kurt Hennig, like so many of his time, in spite of the fact that he was seemingly injured or not being pushed anymore or not, you know, part of Vince McMahon's plans, just went away and then refound himself in WCW, World Championship Wrestling, where he was part of that glut of wrestlers who came in, got that big guaranteed money, didn't really exert himself. Out of, what, deliberately, or...? As in, I'm getting my money here tonight, whether or not uh, this is the best match of my career or not. Now, I get a bit confused with WCW and ECW. Now, Mm. is WCW the one where they gave the wrestlers these incredibly high salaries? And that's kind of (laughs) what... That definitely ain't ECW. And made them bankrupt. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, okay, Okay. right. Not to say that's the sole reason for WCW going in business, but but they gave guaranteed money, is is the phrase. Guaranteed money. You come in here, even if two people show up tonight and we don't sell any t-shirts, you're getting 300 grand a year. And does that not matter again how many matches? Is the wrestle or anything like that? These guys with their guaranteed contracts would actually only have a maximum amount of dates that they could be used for. Wow. So you found people like Hogan and Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, and to a lesser extent, people like Kurt Hennig, having nice schedules. As in, you were about to retire WWF. Why don't you come over here? Here's some money. You're going to have to wrestle half as much as you did before. Sounds good. That's quite similar to what Brock Lesnar has then. Except now I think Lesnar realises that he's a part-timer. There's an expectation that he has to deliver when he shows up. Whereas in WCW, there was more of a culture of, ah. The phrase that always kind of gets you at WCW, which is uh, Kevin Nash and Hulk Hogan locking up. And I forget who said it, but one of them said, cool it, man. We already got their money. They were like, do like in the mo- about to do a big move. It's like, yeah, slow down. Wow, already got their money. That's shocking. And I was honest. I was sitting here, kind of going, okay, um, 
Kurt Hennig, WCW. I know he was, he was here in WCW for ages. He was part of the NWO, that big um, oh, group. Oh, really? Yeah, he was part of the NWO, had big feuds with Ric Flair, you know, Benoit, Macho Man Randy Savage. I was like, surely there's a... I'm going to have the, the pick of the litter for WCW matches. And honestly, there was no one match that people were like, okay, his WCW career is summed up in this match because this match is fucking awesome. you got to check it out. Yeah. And there, there wasn't. There simply wasn't. There was one with Benoit, but honestly, before we do the Benoit episode, yeah. I kind of want to avoid doing Benoit matches. Yeah, we'd we'll not... have to go into detail. and Because I don't want to say, oh, we'll just put aside the double homicide for a moment and mm. talk about the match until a later date. So there wasn't really anything. I mean, other than the one thing that was overwhelmingly requested the most about Kurt Hennig's time oh in WCW, which was being the uh, main man in the forefront of the West Texas Rednecks and their single Rap is Crap Yeah, now this is something I've heard I don't want to say I've heard a lot about it I've just seen a lot of people talking about it Okay, I tried to explain this to you as best I can Yeah The rationale for it The rationale for it was that the guy who was running WCW at the time even though that company was very much southern based the Carolinas, Alabama, Mississippi you know, that that's the kind of the hotbeds of WCW right. had always been. The guy who was in charge at the time didn't like that. He thought, oh, Southern, you know, that means we're simple. I gotta get away, gotta get away from that stereotype. So did he come from that era as well? Was he no. like rejecting? Oh, I see. So no, he, he, came... he was actually from Minnesota, from AWA uh, oh. town. So he was very much of the opinion that wrestling has to be cool. If it's viewed as being Southern, it is and not pop culture. Southern is not cool. It's not in. Oh, he's the man who fired Jim Ross JR the announcer because he was too southern oh my god you know, and he didn't like that is that illegal that, that, <laughs> doesn't sound like, that sounds incredibly illegal and Jim Ross um, not only did that expose the business but I think it exposed workers rights so yeah, I think you have Jesus a case Jesus Christ <laughs> I don't like your accent <laughs> the reason why I put that in perspective is because the West Texas Rednecks were meant to be bad guys. That sounds like a football club. The West Texas Rednecks. It sounds like an XFL football team. The West yeah. Texas Rednecks. <laughs> but the West Texas Rednecks were thrown together, a bunch of southern good old boy wrestlers who they had in the roster. The idea being they would be the bad guys for Master P and his No Limit Soldiers. Master P is a very awful, boring, like, lame. It's He's a, he's a rapper. He was, he was a rapper at the time. Master P. Master P. Maybe it's just the way I say it in my accent. It just makes it sound... Master P. Master P. Maybe it's because it sounds like Master Penis. Yeah. I don't I don't know. Or Master P. I'm viewing like as like a little P. That's like really important. <laughs> I'm, I'm really... I'm, Master P sounds like someone who's got something to say in Sesame Street. I was just thinking maybe he's mastered the art of the P. <laughs> that was a Master P. Yeah. You know? As in like... <laughs> I, that was... 10 out of 10, amazing P, no dribbling. Masterpiece. <laughs> Boom. So um, the reason being is that, surprisingly, the uh, Southern mostly white wrestling fans of WCW did not all rally behind Master P and his No Limit soldiers. Instead, they rallied behind the West Texas Rednecks. Because the West Texas Rednecks, to get heat, to make people really hate them, released a song called Rap is Crap. And uh, in the tradition, I think, now that we're developing in HG Wrestling of having Joe read out important <laughs> promos and pieces of wrestling text of note, I would like Joe to read out the two verses and the hook of Rap is Crap. Fucking hell. Okay. I like country music. I love country girls. I like Willie Nelson. And don't forget about Pearl. Who's Pearl? Uh, I think that's a famous country western comedian. Nice. As far as I know. There's only one thing that I hate, because it's a bunch of crap. I, I, I hate rap. 
I like NASCAR racing. Richard Petty's still the king. Yeah, they call me a redneck, but you know, that's a beautiful thing. Rap is crap. <laughs> Rap is crap. So that surprisingly didn't turn the fans against them, and the West Texas Rednecks ended up being big faces, even though they were like meant to be bad guys. The feud what was did dropped. They expect? I don't know. It just seems like such. I mean, I could completely understand how a gimmick like that would work in certain parts of the country. But when you think, I mean, maybe we've been watching too much King of the Hill, but I just know if you showed say, that to Hank Hill, I know, I know which side he's going to be on, and it's going to be the ones that are saying rap is crap. Boy, I tell you what, rap is crap. <laughs> I like NASCAR racing, and I don't like rap music. It's asinine. <laughs> Bobby, I don't like rap. I mean, come on, who the fuck? They thought their audience was Bobby Hill. Their audience yeah. was Hank Hill. Yeah. Okay, it's the most relatable song ever. Is, I yeah. like NASCAR racing. Me too, said the <laughs> WCW fan. Yeah, it's just so, like, just missing a basic understanding of who your audience is. It's going to get heat that way. Like, yeah. You might as well, like, release a, a, a group of WWE wrestlers now who are like, I like torrenting WWE shows and not paying <laughs> for your shit. Ooh, let's boo those guys. <laughs> You know, um, so that was probably the most memorable thing that came from his WCW tenure, if I'm honest. I mean, that's not saying much for WCW, but WCW was big on having big names and not using them. What was annoying about, about Kurt Hennig is that, you know, they had him and Bret Hart on the roster at the same time at WCW, and yet still, you know, they didn't do anything with them. They, they never saw the value that they had with, with, with Kurt Hennig. Clearly, if they're making them do things like this. Yeah. Yikes! It was the whitest thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, I mean it's borderline racist how white it was. <laughs> well, Jeez. So Mr. Perfect kind of languished. You know, WCW closed. He was given guaranteed money, so he didn't return to WWE for a while. He returned to WWE in the Royal Rumble in 2002, which was such a nice thing to see because he had languished in WCW. To see him come back. With the Mr. Perfect music, the Mr. Perfect name, the towel, the oil, everything. And he did a really great showing of that rumble. It was really nostalgic. It was I suppose really cool. it's great for him as well that he's managed to have like this nice rest. So, like a healing period, I suppose. I always imagine it must be good for wrestlers to have like, to a, have, like a period a of not wrestling. Yeah. I think so as well. Because he was someone who had been dogged with a lot of injuries. And he came really? back seemingly you know, good to go. Which leads to our next match. Because his, his WCW tenure was obviously quite unmemorable. His WWE tenure, even though when he returned, was rather short. He was only around for a few months. There was, it was a lot more memorable than his entire WCW run, I would argue. Yeah. And one of the matches, obviously, was the Royal Rumble. But one which we decided to look at was Mr. Perfect taking on Stone Cold Steve Austin from Raw in 2002. Which is showing that Raw in 2002 is this weird universe mode where current stars fought people from past <laughs> iterations of WWF. <laughs> I love that we got to watch a match with Stone Cold. I always like it when we get to cover matches, which include people we've already done episodes on. Yeah, I think that's really cool. Absolutely. Yeah. You can kind of see the, the, the two styles mesh here. Yeah. And obviously Mr. Perfect being in there with Steve Austin, who's famous for drinking alcohol, mm. led me to uh, ask if you know or have ever heard of the Mr. Perfect rule for drinking Jack Daniels whiskey. No, the the rule. There's a rule he has. If you drink with Mr. Perfect... Wait, there's a rule do... he has yeah. or there's like a drinking game rule? It's kind of... No, it's a rule that he has. If Every time he does present, something perfect, you take a shot of Jack Daniels. That's too many shots of Jack Daniels. You die. No, his rule was that if you're drinking Jack Daniels with Mr. Perfect, you had to gargle it before you'd swallowed. What? Yeah. Why? Because it's much harder to do. Just Jack Daniels? Yeah. No other just... type of whiskey? I mean, that, that's the whiskey they drank. Like That was oh, the I brand. See. But I mean... 
Jack Daniels doesn't go down smooth, let me tell you something right now. No. And if you ever try gargling hard liquor, I mean, even gargling like a, a sweet, tasty hard liquor like Kahlua would be fucking horrible. Gargling Jack Daniels is basically like a window into hell. I just imagine you choke and <laughs> drown. Well, that was the idea that you did it. You know, he was like, "Oh, can you do it?" He could do it, and you of course he, he, he could do it. it. You know, that <laughs> shot was absolutely perfect. <laughs> So again, this match denoted by more amazing grappling. And what I liked about Mr. Perfect was that you got to see through his wrestling that Steve Austin, even though he's known as being a bit of a Billy Brawler, was an amazing mat-based wrestler as well. Yeah, really impressive. Like right up there with like Ric Flair and and Perfect from the previous encounter. Yeah, Austin's right there with him. Quite vicious, I thought this match was at points. The strikes. Yeah. Ooh, the chops. Slap. Yeah, absolutely. Ooh. Lighten each other up. I do like as well the intensity, like when the two of them were like all like they're not like doing clean breaks or transitions they're like shoving each other yeah. and my as well when Mr. Perfect was in the corner he tried to shove Austin away and Austin just gave him the finger <laughs> like in the middle of all this beautiful wrestling like you son of a bitch <laughs> Um, Mr. Perfect did the cool flippy towel thing when he came in. I love the flippy towel thing. It's so cool. And I, I can't do it. I wish I could. So was he, he flings it behind his back? From behind his back and catches it without looking out of the air. I think I could do it if I practised. He can do it as well. The thing he also did was with the gum, he'd spit it out and he'd just slap it out of the air like that as it was falling yeah, down. Yeah, I don't think I could do that. And the other one, which is the pencil, which he'd flick it out of his ear, catch it midair and go like that. Yeah, I don't think I could do that either. Unbelievable. He's so cool. He's seriously. It's just, it's awesome having someone like Mr. Perfect who, I, I just don't think you could get away with having a gimmick like being perfect. Without unless, having this kind of stuff. Like, yeah, unless yeah. you're just really amazing at everything. Yeah. Because like little party tricks like that are so, everyone wants to be able to do them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. My brother can do this really cool thing where he gets like a thing of M&M's throws it up in the air and can catch in his mouth he can throw it up like three metres and catch it he can throw like tomatoes off the wall and it'll bounce into his mouth it reminds me so much of Mr. Perfect yeah 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 just the little things it's like really cool little things that everyone goes oh that's kind of cool I wish I could do that everyone is subtly jealous but that's what's perfect about it being a heel is that (laughs) you you are kind of annoyed that this guy can do it it works in both ways I think being a heel or a face yeah absolutely When he gets thrown into the corner, he bounces like a bouncy, bouncy ball. He fucking flies. I've written, (laughs) if Mr. Perfect was a Mr. Man, he'd be Mr. Bounce. And then I corrected myself and said, no, wait, I guess he'd probably be called Mr. Perfect if he was a Mr. Man. (laughs) (laughs) Like a little Mr. Man that's Mr. Perfect. Yes. You know, with the little scraggly hair. A square (laughs) one, I would imagine. She's the shape of his head with the thick brow, like, you know. A towel. Yeah, and a towel as well. Did you hear the point where someone in the crowd wolf whistled at one of them? Really? I couldn't tell which one of them they were wolf whistling, but someone did a proper like, I can't do it. You do it. I can't wolf whistle. You can't wolf whistle. I can wolf whistle from outside. Can't do it inside. But anyway, they wolf whistled at one of them. And I'm really curious as to which one it was. Hey, Steve Austin, take your top off. I think it must have been Mr. Perfect. He's the handsomer. I've heard that mums have crushes on Mr. Perfect. Oh, God. You you better believe Mr. Perfect was part of that whole, girl, my girl thinks she's hot, so I want to pay to see him be beaten up. Really? Oh, absolutely. Because a a few people did tweet in saying things like, oh, it was my mum's favourite wrestler. Oh, he's a fucking stud. There's no doubt that people, you know, he was a crush of many, many, many a person back in the day. I just love to imagine all these like wrestling fans watching it and uh, their their mum comes and she's like, I'm watching the wrestling again. Oh, who's who's that? I didn't know they oh. were Hanso wrestlers as well. Oh, his singlet just came off. Oh, it <laughs> ripped off him like butter. Oh, who is this? Better go to an event and wolf whistle at him. <laughs> is, it, is it warm in here? <laughs> 
the crowd, I noticed, kept chanting what? Yeah, this was during the, the height of what <laughs> Just when every time Steve Austin did like a big kick. Uh, what? 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 It was really cool. It's It, it was the only thing you heard from crowds during that time really every fucking imagine that was very annoying after I mean this was this was just before it got annoying two months later it was annoying when Austin left the company it got really annoying oh jeez <laughs> but um yeah Austin mad over here obviously and was the man of the time and uh, he hit the stunner and won and Mr. Perfect spent the rest of his couple of months really just being there to put younger guys over and I mean I guess in a sense you know you see it when like they brought Rhino into NXT I think that's kind of the best use of guys like that because even though Mr. Perfect wasn't being featured very prominently on TV at the time he was you know the one that always strikes me is you hear that Mr. Perfect gave all his words of wisdom his career and life advice to a very young Brock Lesnar who just debuted at the time really? and him and Lesnar because they were both from Minnesota became very very close and Lesnar developed that oh, whole I'm sorry you're breaking my brain here really Brock Lesnar was close to another human other than Paul Heyman I know very very interesting what well, the fuck there might be a bit of an asterisk beside that in a moment but anyway <laughs> um, perfect you know taught him the things of you know you come into this wrestling business because it is a hard business to get out of the wrestling business. Get in to get out was his was his catchphrase. Right. Which was, you come in to make money, to provide for your family so you don't have to wrestle anymore. Don't make friends, make money. Okay. And that whole kind Seems of... Seems like Brock Lesnar took that to the next level. He did, absolutely. A little bit too far. I'd say Mr. Perfect would be proud of Lesnar, if anything. So was was Perfect like a, a mentor a in a way? Yeah. Because no. I really think of Brock Lesnar being a jerk in the. No, Mr. Perfect was very. I mean, he was he was beloved. He was absolutely beloved. But he by didn't care about people. making friends. Again, he he had camaraderie, but I think his point was that he always kind of his priority was. You know, there are a lot of guys would have taken that though. It's possible to not be a fucking arsehole, but right. still have your priority be number one. And okay. his his priority he was well liked by so many people because he was so good. And you know, his priority was. You know, I gotta make some money, and you know, people are like, "How? Oh, why did you go to WCW for all those years and ruined your legacy?" I was like, "Well, you know, they paying me ridiculous money. You gotta look out for number one." I mean, it worked out in the sense that you know, even though he was a smaller guy in a growing up in a time that was dominated by the giants, the big people, he always ended up doing very well for himself. Right. He was never hard up for for work. Was Mister Perfect during his time? He was always employed by one of the big companies and featured in a prominent position um, up until his passing. So he left the WWE in possibly the worst circumstances of all time. Oh no. Um, have you heard of something called the plane ride from hell? Only in that I've got it on my notes here, followed by a bunch of question marks. <laughs> Loads of people have mentioned the plane ride from hell. The plane ride from hell was WWE chartering a flight from England back home to the good old US after a particularly long tour of Europe and featuring a number of particularly inebriated wrestlers. This, for my money, was when someone drew a line under the wrestling culture of old and said, we can't be doing this shit anymore, guys, in terms of the drinking and the partying and the drugs. Oh dear. A highlight of a few of the things that happened on the plane ride from hell. A few? Oh, there's a number of things that Oh happened. my God, how long was this flight? I mean, it was UK. 12 hours? Yeah, like, I guess, US to UK. How much can happen in that time? <laughs> uh, an awful lot, apparently. First of all, Scott Hall, who was fired after this, he was also known as Razor Ramon. I know Scott Hall, he's the hunk. Yeah, you saw him on Breaking Ground, we showed him. Yeah, he's kind of talk. involved in WWE at the moment, isn't he? Yeah, he's, he's involved. He's fit. He is, he's a nice guy as well. Uh, but Scott Hall, 
Paul was battling his personal demons a hell of a lot at that time. He was unconscious for most of the time, with a number of wrestlers fearing that he was going to actually die. In his, Why would he die? Because he had like taken so many pills and drank so much. Oh my god. It was like really, really, really horrible. Like He had to be escorted off the plane on a wheelchair. You know, was this from like um, an intentional taking? Yeah, too it was much just like we're going on a flight. I'm getting fucked up. Let's fucking get fucked up. Oh you know? god! It was really, really horrible. Like some people insist that he wasn't involved in any of the incidents because he was out for all of it. But I think it was the fact that he was so completely out of it. Like there was yeah. an occasion I think of like stewardesses coming over asking how he was, and he was like, yeah, yeah, you know, and they're like, oh Jesus, vomiting on him. Yeah. So and you know, if you're an active member of the WWE roster, Vince McMahon won't look kindly on you having to be taken off in a wheelchair. At the end of a flight. I mean, t- being taken off in a wheelchair doesn't seem like the end of the world. Because I mean, you're unconscious because of drugs and alcohol? There are worse things you could do. Trip, I guess. Um, we also had uh, Michael Hayes, who is someone... He's one of the fabulous Freebirds. I think we've mentioned those before. Yeah. From uh, They would have wrestled then in WCCW with uh, the Von Eriks. And we talked about the Freebird rule that the New Day have, that anyone can defend those titles. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Michael Hayes. Bit of a dickhead in, in IRL. He's a writer and producer for WWE. I've seen his name around. Yeah, and uh, he had a couple of drinks too many. His highlight on this one was, because he was so fucking drunk, he was walking around trying to do anything to anyone who would listen to him, was mistaking the chair of Linda McMahon for a urinal. And oh proceeding... Oh my god, no. Yeah, to take oh out his god. dick. Oh my god. tried to piss on Linda McMahon. Wait, she was in the chair? Yep. He just you kept mean saying, she didn't just mistake her chair for a urinal? No, she he was sat there. He mistook Linda McMahon for a urinal. Yeah, and he's there with his dick in his hand, and all he was saying was, like, come on, give me a second, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. And people just had to go, no, Michael, don't piss oh on the CEO God. of the company. Hang on, did Vince McMahon treat Scott Hall worse for being taken off in a wheelchair than Michael Hayes for almost pissing on his wife? In- interesting, because I think Hayes is part of the inner circle, you see. He's gotten away with a lot of shit. We'll delve into Hayes more, him. yeah. Hashtag save it for the episode. He, he, got, his, he got his own back because uh, X-Pac uh, wrestler at the time who fucking hated Michael Hayes chopped off his shitty mullety ponytail I you were going to say his penis no nah, well he should have <laughs> we're whipping it out <laughs> chopped off his ponytail his awful ponytail uh, when he was passed out and the next day when they're at TV he thumbtacked it onto the to the notice board oh my god it. I think it's fucking absolutely awesome but seriously whipping your dick out to the owner of the company's wife yeah think that would have some serious I'm sorry but this is soon after the Titus O'Neil incident well and, Michael uh... I know it was non-sexual I knew you just wanted to piss he's not setting yeah. any examples there is he I mean, if, if the fact that he was just trying to pee, I think that was the, the, the why it was okay. And of course, during the midst of all this fucking madness that's going on, you know, everyone's drunk, everyone's putting shaving cream on each other, by the way. Why? Uh, because they're fucking idiots. Who has shaving cream on a plane? Oh, this was 2002, I guess. So I don't yeah, know. after they, oh, they chartered the plane themselves, I guess. Uh, so. I guess. But who comes strutting down the aisle in the midst of all this fucking madness? But the nature boy, Ric Flair, who is wearing his beautiful robe that he wears to the ring oh, yeah. and nothing else. What? So naked Ric Flair is just strutting down a woo. Someone's got to have like drawn this mess. Um, yeah, there's been there's been there's been a lot written and a lot discussed about this over the years. I think we need our illustrator Dan to do a beautiful like print Shot. of just all the madness from this ride from hell. <laughs> and like Flair, like I mean, there was allegations that Flair had like because he was walking around naked, the stewardesses like um, tried to sue him for, for indecent exposure. Well, that's what I understand. If he's naked and Michael Hayes got his cock out, mm-hmm. why is Scott Hall the one being severely punished uh, for he was being in, in a wheelchair? Because he was in bad... He was kind of in bad standing with the company, I think. 
That's so unfair. Yeah. Being taken out in a wheelchair is nowhere near. I know, as bad. but you understand this is at the end of a long tour where every night he had underperformed and had been in a in a state on a number of occasions. So they were like that was the straw that broke the camel's back, not the I think they should thing. all have been punished. But yeah, Flair I think Flair like settled out of court with the with, with that lawsuit and that's how he got away with it. But the other person who got fired because of this brouhaha was uh, one Mr. Perfect. Because Mr. Perfect and Brock Lesnar decided that they were going to have themselves, you know, a little bit of a, a sportsman-like contest. Because they were two friends, two guys from Minnesota. And uh, I hear that Brock Lesnar thinks he's pretty tough. Right. I hear that Brock Lesnar thinks he's some sort of amazing amateur wrestler. NCAA, I'm Mr. Perfect. Be, 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 be. I've drank a lot, so now I know I think my gimmick is real. The two of them started having a takedown contest. What's a takedown contest? As in, shoot wrestling, two men stand up, who can take who down to the ground first? On a plane? On a plane. Not just on a plane. But on a plane filled with inebriated yes, naked st- wrestlers. St- past naked Ric Flair and Michael Hayes' defrocked mullet. Um, yes, not only doing that, in the emergency exit area as well. They bumped into the door and nearly... <gasps> <laughs> no! Yeah. They so. nearly opened the door? Yeah. How so, nearly? Depending on who you ask. Some people say like they, they knocked into the into the button and people were like... <gasps> but anyway, they made the big deal out of it because the flight, the people on the flight were like, you endangered the, the crew, yeah. the, the plane, da, 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 da. And Lesnar didn't take the fall, obviously, because he was the younger guy. So Mr. Perfect took the fall. Oh, wow. So out of that whole mess, the only real long-term ramifications were... I mean, there's other people who got drunk who kind of like... It, ended up not helping them out when they got released later on down the line. But in terms of who left to that plane no longer a WWE superstar was Scott Hall and Mr. Perfect. Which, in my opinion, were the least too bad. When you line them all up there, the lad who was taking a piss on Linda McMahon and also the guy who was strutting around fucking buck naked in front of members of the... You know, in front of muggles, non, yeah. non-wrestle non folk. Or innocent stewardesses. Th- those who, guys go... <laughs> they have a hard enough job as it is without seeing Ric Flair's withered penis. Yeah. And it's really sad that, I mean, the plane ride for hell was the last memory I had of, of Mr. Perfect. Because the next I heard, that was the end of 2002. February 2003, he had died of a cocaine overdose. And he was only 44 years old. Mr. Perfect did? Yeah. Oh my god, he died of a cocaine overdose. Yep, acute cocaine intoxication, I think, was actually what was on his death report. Oh in the end. my god. And it was really sad. It was just that he was kind of cut loose. He, you know, he had always been part of the, the party scene or whatever, but he always seemed to kind of have a handle on himself. But I think a lot of those guys who went to WCW, particularly if you look at someone like Kurt Hennig, who in 1992 was told that he had to retire because of injuries, he obviously was dealing with pain his entire life. Yeah. And he was obviously hooked on, you know, your somas, your, you know, all those pain pills that all those guys got into that habit of it's because yeah. they were sore, you know. And that was it was horrible to see that he fell into that like kind of that darker side of wrestling that the guys who were on the on the road and alone and lonely got over that not through you know having a fucking gaming channel or you know playing you know hanging out with each other like they seem to do with the wrestlers these days. Yeah, it was you went out, you got fucked up. The more fucked up you got, the better the night was. I just assumed, because he seems so healthy. Mm, he never... I mean, I guess in his WCW run, he looked a little bit fucking haggard. Right. Like, a little bit. But he he could never not do what he could do. He could always still do the Mr. Perfect. I guess because, as well, I kind of do associate him with Bret Hart, who I know is incredibly wholesome. Yeah. Mick Foley's mentioned before how he always, you know, went back to his family at the end of the day, and family came first, and he never really got drunk or anything. Wow, that's yeah, he was part so of that. He was sad. part of that. Like again, a lot of that Minnesota crew 
you know, Road Warrior Hawk, it was another one, he died tragically young, personal demons. Rick Rude, also tragically young, you know, to an extent, personal demons. There was a lot of guys, I mean, there was a lot of wrestlers, particularly any wrestler who worked a harder style in that late 80s, early 90s periods, and not a lot of them survived it. And it's really sad, it really that, is. Yeah, Jesus. And it was really nice, though, that he was honoured in the Hall of Fame, you know, they did a really, really amazing job on that. There's a, a documentary about Mr. Perfect called The Life and Times of Mr. Perfect that's on the network. And I didn't know, I didn't show it to Joe because I, it is literally two hours of people just talking about how much they loved Mr. Perfect as opposed to the in-ring and the matches and whatnot. But, I mean, do check that out to see what a positive impact he had in the world of wrestling. Because even if he didn't live to become a mentor and a coach to all these people, just what he did in the ring itself was influential enough that it kind of lived on, you know? And it's really sad that he died at the age of 44. I can't... That is so sad. So young. Jesus Christ. Yeah. I thought... It kind of thought in the back of my mind he'd still be alive. Yeah. But that's the, Bret Hart writes his book where he's like, kind of, all these guys... And he's like... You know, he's, he has to remind himself that they're not alive anymore. Oh, that's It's so really sad. tragic, yeah. There's a huge, huge number of those guys. And I think as How to Wrestling goes on and we do more guys from this era, they will unfortunately have... That is the, the, the ending point, really, for a lot of them. It's very sad. At least it's nice in the respect that, like you were saying, wrestlers these days are nowhere... They're not like that anymore. There's this no. wholesomeness that's very much encouraged. They have their gaming and cooking channels. It's, yeah. It's nice PG. I mean, you do get the occasional slip, but... Oh, but I mean, with the, with the plane ride from hell, very much, and I think particularly with you know, Mr. Perfect and a lot of people from his era dying in that way... It really just did kind of draw a line under it saying, look, yes, we can be rock stars and we can, you know, have our double beds full of cocaine and shove it into our faces and, Mm. you know, party till two in the morning, sleep for an hour, then do a line of cocaine and go to the gym. You know, I mean, that is not a lifestyle, I think, that is conducive to... I mean, now that we're finding all this stuff... I mean, even... Look at someone like Daniel Bryan now, yeah. who's out of the game, not because of the part. I mean, wrestling itself is fucking dangerous enough without doing all that Daniel shit. Daniel Bryan's so healthy, like, in every other way. Vegan, he's, no alcohol, yeah. no drugs, no tobacco. He was straight edge, essentially. Yeah. And again, you know, he's been you know, made to retire. And not to say that's going to happen to everyone, but I'm just wrestling itself is a dangerous activity. But at least with people like Daniel Bryan, like, it's, it's so sad thinking Mr. Perfect dying because like you said he, he can't train new guys and it feels like it was a guy who's burning the candle at both ends quite literally he that could phrase. have made, continued to make such an impact yeah. on the wrestling world oh, absolutely. If he as, as a coach on. or yeah. a trainer or anything like that anything like that whereas Daniel Bryan I mean he, we're not going to see the last of him No, that's I, a wonderful feeling I think and in a way I think with like Curtis Axel as well I think the fact that his father has passed so young and almost galvanised Mr. Perfect's career is this like short space of time Got in young, died young, you know, only in wrestling for maybe 20 years or whatever, and then that was it, he was gone. Yeah. And I think by doing that, it really makes it so difficult for someone like Curtis Axel, you know, whose real name is Joe Hennig, the the, the, the son of Kurt Hennig. And everyone was always saying, oh, he was going to be the, the top star, but it's hard because he's got this looming, yeah. you know, memoriam of his father who passed so tragically that he can never live up to that. And when you, you haven't know? got... I can only imagine how hard it must be as well when you don't have that parent who is so, you know, so enigmatic, such an influence on the wrestling world, who can't then teach you. Yeah. Because, I mean, I know for, for people my age whose parents die young, it's so hard not having your parents walk you through all the things that, you know, going into adulthood, etc. Yeah. Cause and when, he could have taught him so much. Because when Joe Henning actually debuted, it would have been like, you know, six years or so after 
you know, Mr. Perfect had passed. Right. So it's kind of like, yeah, I mean, it would have been, it's sad that he didn't get to see his son reach those levels or, you know, get there or give him his advice or whatever, you know. And it's, and it's kind of interesting to think of, like, I wonder how things would have been different if he hadn't died and if he had been able to, like, coach his son. And... Yeah, if that would have a different impact or what his place would be in, in the world of wrestling now. But Kurt Hennig, an amazing career, an amazing influence on the world of wrestling and particularly the style of wrestling that we're all so fond of. Yeah. You know, out of place. I mean, he was almost ahead of his time, you can make that argument, you know? So an amazing career from Mr. Perfect. But now it's time to uh, delve into our old social media and see what tweets and Facebook posts we've got about Mr. Perfect. Take a minute out and think for yourself what it would be like to go through life absolutely perfect with no flaws, no blemishes. Every single thing you do is absolutely perfect. Well, you're looking at the man who was born with the sign of perfection that hangs over him. And the man who likes to take advantage of people. A man who likes to beat people at their own game. That's what I do the best. That's why I'm Mr. Perfect. And everybody in the World Wrestling Federation, you better take a good look. Because I have an unblemished record. I have a perfect record. Nobody's beaten me. I have no flaws. I have no blemishes. But if you really stop and think about it, what would you expect from Mr. Perfect? (laughs) We have Prophet of Ash saying... Paragon of Perfect Plexes. Oh, I like that. That rolls off the tongue. It's a good tongue twister, I think. Paragon of of Perfect Plexes. The Perfect Plex is one of my favourite moves ever. (laughs) It's so cool. I love it so much. Very cool. Absolutely love it. He only hit that in the big show once. He can do that on the big show. Seriously? Yeah, I'll show you the clip later. But he can do the Perfect Plex with his hands clasped perfectly, legs arched. He can do it on the big show. How old must he have been when he did that? Would have been in his 40s, I guess. 42, maybe? Strong. Strong, absolutely. Kay Thizzle says, I love how he would throw his towel behind his back and catch it with the same hand during his entrance. I have tried so many times to do that coming out of showers. I think more wrestlers need to have little party trick gimmicks. Yeah. Little cool things. Undertaker rolls the eyes in the back of his head. Yeah. Mankind can rip his hair off. Mr. Perfect can slap the gum. Yeah. What can you do, AJ Styles? What can <laughs> you do, Chris Jericho? Huh? St. Thane said, What impressed me the most is his ability to crotch himself across the ring in nearly every match I saw. What is crotching oneself? Uh, that's when uh, one hits one's willy into something for the purposes of wrestling. <laughs> Sorry, you did the hand gesture there, which does explain what you're yeah, talking it's, about. Yeah, the ring post is my <laughs> index finger, and then I have a V with my two other fingers to make it out like it is legs. And... Uh, adding those in there to make it look like the post has come into contact with the the gooch of the the fingers here. Just by saying he hits his penis against the ring implies something slightly different. Oh, I see. Just thwacking it. Why, he's like a weird 11-year-old who doesn't know how to masturbate. He's just (laughs) rubbing himself. Trying to work it out. (laughs) (laughs) What do I do down here? (laughs) Pierre Luc says, On a very hot summer in the car, my friend tried the gum move while driving, missed, and it melted on his windshield. Oh, that's awful. Yeah, I mean, I would never dare try the gum thing because um, if I got if I slapped it into my beard... Yeah, I was just thinking if it got into my hair. Speed danger zone right there. And he's got noodle hair and he did that every yeah. goddamn night. Wow. How did he practice something like that? You've got to have like, no body hair at all. Like, Seriously. Nothing. <laughs> ASJ Paradise says, just as good as Bret Hart, but wasn't pushed the same way. Mm. Yeah, no, I think he was viewed, I think because he had the gimmick, as good as the gimmick was... I don't think it was a gimmick that Vince McMahon could have seen as being a champion at that time. Yeah, because, like, I mean, Bret Hart, I've heard so much about Bret Hart. Bret Hart, Owen Hart, the British yeah. Bulldog, all those I've heard loads about. Mr. Perfect, 
outside of the episode, I've mm. really not heard much at all. Yeah, it's very interesting, I guess. I mean, in a sense, it's because that he was always... In a sense, he was viewed as being like a bit of a utility player in some ways, and right. that it's kind of... Mr. Perfect will have the good match with this person. Mr. Perfect will get this guy over. Mr. Perfect will have the good match on this card. But it was never... The talk was never, he will become champion. You I know? wonder why that is. I guess by the time Brett became champion... Again, I suppose having a smaller guy who is a good guy being a champion was a big leap for Vince. I think Vince having a smaller heel as a champion is like wouldn't have ever went into his mind at that time. Right. Because if you're a bad guy and you're champion, you've got to be a big, you know. Monster heel. Be very slow to come around from that, like, very, very slow. The Gutteridge says, Mr. Perfect opened my eyes to 90s wrestling at the 2002 Rumble because he wrestled like a modern guy. Mm, Yeah, he's very shocking. I mean, I didn't know much about Mr. Perfect because, I mean, I only started watching during the Attitude Era. I had heard his name and had friends go on about him. When he debuted in the Rumble, I was like, the fuck has this guy been all along? You know, I, and I remember watching that Rumble and being like, well, he, they've got themselves a new guy now because he's so good. He's so over with the crowd and he didn't do anything with them. And I guess they're at a point in time where, you know, are they going to push a guy in his mid-40s who had left for WCW? They probably weren't. That was the sad truth of it. And he didn't really get a push out of that. But he could, he was like a modern wrestler. I'd be really interested, actually, if anyone listening to this was watching around the same time he became a wrestler mm. on TV and stuff. I really do wonder if people were kind of like blown away yeah. by how unique his style was. Oh, I think so. I mean, he was, became a star quite quickly. Must have been like such a breath of fresh air. Oh, absolutely. Particularly in AWA as well, where there would have been a lot of slower, clunky guys. Yeah. You know, old-timey, cotton-tights type wrestlers that Mr. Perfect's you know, sorry, Kurt Hennig coming around would be way, way, way more exciting than what they were seeing. Well, it's like when we were doing the Hulk Hogan episode and I was saying, God, if these people saw Adrian Neville, they'd freak out. <laughs> Mr. Perfect is so flippy and good and yeah. amazing. I, I, I just can't, I would love to see. Knows though, never jumps off the top rope. True. Never dives through the ropes, dives over True. the ropes. I guess he just gives that feel of he's, being flippy he's without... He's bouncy in the ring. Yeah, he's roly-poly. <laughs> he is, he's very... That, that is a coined phrase, ladies and gentlemen, right there. Yes Mode Games says, Deserved more than anyone in the Hogan era to be WWE's top star and have a major main event run as world champion. Yeah, I guess Vince McMahon's mindset was not of that way at the time. And it's sad, that, I mean, he never got that championship run, really, in either company, which is a shame. James D. Leach says, As a young fan, my main exposure to him was his anti-rap gimmick in WCW, so I hated him. Well, there we go. There's someone out there. Well, there's one person. One person. (laughs) Score one for Eric Bischoff. Now I wish I'd seen more of his stuff, because he's clearly an excellent wrestler and one of the prototypes of the kind of smarmy heels I like today. Yeah. So true. Self-centered smug heels are where it's at. Yeah, he actually does remind me a bit of Seth Rollins. Yeah, oh, Seth, big, big up on that. Just the kind of little smirk to himself all the time. I just realised to myself why I think I like him so Uh much. Reminds me of my boy. (laughs) A couple of Facebook posts over here. Lean Bullock saying he could sell ice to Eskimos. If I was going to become a wrestler and I had a wrestling genie and said, you can have one thing that you can be good at, it would probably be selling. Because if you you can be good at selling, it seems that you can really just go to town and get a career. I don't understand how... This is so ignorant of me, but I don't see how you can be bad at selling. Um, oh god I mean just watch like people like Hulk Hogan when they get a move no I know I can understand not selling yeah I'm sure wrestlers listening to this episode will go no selling is very hard and we make it it look easy it is hard because you watch wrestlers you mean you watch John Cena Wrestlemania 23 where the entire match he spent having his left arm worked over or whatever it is and then during his comeback he forgot that it was his left arm and starts doing all these moves with his left arm but because it, it does, well, it happens. Like, I guess people forget, like kind of shit. My legs meant to be sore now because I just you know did this thing, 
how will that impact how I'm doing this move? And a lot of guys don't do it. But even things like being punched or kicked, any kind of move that is performed on you, any kind of attack, yeah. you think you just react as though it really hurts. Isn't that what selling is? You and I is? have to watch a little bit more Botchamania if you don't understand yeah. the art of not being good at selling. Yeah, maybe that's it. <laughs> There's a whole fucking supermarket of shit wrestling out there for you to uh, to indulge in. So I just feel that's, if I was a wrestler, that's the only thing I'd be good at. I couldn't do any of the actual wrestling, but I'm pretty sure I could convincingly look in pain. <laughs> Liam Bennett writes here, greatest intercontinental champion of all time. I would absolutely agree with that. So good that Hulk Hogan tried to get him pushed up to the top of the card because he knew he'd have good matches with him. The only guy he must have pushed. Like. Yeah, it's really smart though. Because I mean, Hogan got bigger reactions when he wrestled like guys like that because they bounced around from him. It made Ho- Hogan like to look strong. And yeah. when Kurt Hennig is fucking bouncing around the ring and Hogan throws a right hand, that's his money made there. How tall is Hennig? Hennig was billed as being around six foot three, which means he probably was around six one maybe. Okay. Yeah, so not not a, tall, a short guy in terms of wrestling. Yeah, would he not look tiny next to Hulk Hogan? And that's what Hogan likes. But I thought Hulk Hogan liked his opponents being huge. He likes either A, his opponents being so huge that it's like, oh man, he can overcome them, or small so they make him look big. Oh, I okay. I He's, thought he never got guys over who were small. Mr. Perfect would have been one of the only people who feuded with Hogan who was small. Because Hogan, like, if you're small, yeah, then you have to really sell it like I'm going to kill you with my moves that's kind of his, his rationale behind it I guess that it. makes sense because yeah he certainly did that Harry Green saying Mr. Perfect had one of those gimmicks that if it was given to anyone else it would have been awful and unbelievable but it just shows how good he was he was able to carry himself as Mr. Perfect because I mean think about it oh yeah Roman can, Reigns with that I'm Mr. Perfect I'm good at everything suffering succotash son have you seen me play horseshoes you know it's the same kind of thing to me as you know that film Funny People mm-hmm. if you're going to call your funny you've got to be really fucking funny and if you're going to like mr perfect is like you leave yourself yeah. wide open there you've got to be perfect your ass better be perfect yeah you know you don't get to call yourself after just something you're kind of similar to there would have been so many guys you can just imagine kind of going and why are you that because i am perfect yeah. and I, you, know, you could just see the nerd fucking random <laughs> jobber guy trying to be mr perfect oh god can you imagine it as like a gimmick for like some up-and-comer in nxt yeah. <laughs> Also, on a sadder note, Mr. Perfect will be the first of sadly many, many wrestlers on Hedge Wrestling who have passed away. I'd appreciate if you give a short look into his death and in and around that, as it's important and a sad subject that this can be very daunting for new wrestling fans due to the large number of wrestlers passing before their time. Um, I think that's a really important one. I mean, I guess it's one worth asking as we're closing up here. Do you, I mean, I don't want to start off every episode kind of going, and oh, this person is dead, but I also don't want to be like kind of, and then they died, you know. But I mean, because that was, I mean, that was shocking. Yeah, my my reaction a few minutes ago was genuine. I didn't know he was dead. Yeah, um, I guess it's just like it is. It's difficult. It's off putting. And I mean, if I was to show you now a PDF or a, you know a list of wrestlers who oh, have died dear. before the age of fifty, oh no, it's quite bleak. So he really is the first one, I suppose, that has died. I don't think of anyone who we've done an episode on who's who's kind of died very young or tragically before they were, you know. Yeah, we've covered mostly wrestlers. I think yeah, this who... might be the first one, and there I will be right, yeah. there will be a number. There will be a number of them. Oh. And you know, it's sad, but I mean, I think it's like you got to view it like this. You know, look at his lasting impact, his lasting legacy. And I mean, I can't help but look at the lifestyle that not only Mr. Perfect, but a lot of those wrestlers of that time were leading. And I can't help but think, you know, that we've made so much strides and improvements in the world of wrestling as a result. Because, you know, people are still going on and obviously we're never going to seem to get a wrestling union or these guys to get health insurance or to get the proper coverage and stuff that they need. But at least wrestlers now know to look after themselves. Yeah. And is it because of wrestlers dying young? It is. Because I'll be honest, if the, all those wrestlers didn't die young and tragically, I don't think 
there would be this kind of new norm that you don't go get fucked up all the time. I suppose in a lot of industries, especially in the 80s and 90s. And entertainment in the Entertainment, like musicians, actors, they're all doing this kind of like hard partying celebrity lifestyle. Yeah. But unlike with musicians and actors who can kind of get away with doing that because it's not as much of a physical toll on them. Just imagine you had the physical drain of wrestling on Being a wrestler plus taking all those drugs and drinking so heavily and partying and not getting enough sleep because here's the thing that absolutely you know i'm just gonna it's a random guess me saying it but i know this has happened where a wrestler has you know in the 80s got concussed and then went fuck it and took pills and went out and went on a night of drinking and woke up the next day and did you know coke and woke up and did a full fucking workout then went off and started wrestling again that happened with it absolutely did happen because back in those days you know concussions Walk it off. You know, that, that's how it was. It wasn't yeah. like now. And you can imagine the toll it was taken on those people. You I know, just, it's very, very sad. I mean, I guess I can't look back and kind of go, how dare you, know, Mr. Perfect was such an idiot for taking all the... They didn't no, know. They, they didn't, didn't, they didn't know. know. They didn't know. All right. And anyone who says that they didn't know the long-term impact of not just the concussions, but repetitive strain and like, you know, doing a headbutt every night. You know, that stuff like that adds yeah. up or taking a chair shot or la- jumping off the top rope and landing on those knees. Even Hulk Hogan claims to have fucked himself up from doing a leg drop every night, you know, hurting Jesus. his hips. He's got two fake hips as a result of that. You see, now so. I just think, <laughs> this week I fell down some stairs and I got very badly bruised. And the next day I felt like such crap. And I just <laughs> imagine, like, the feeling of being a wrestler. So you wake up bruised probably most mornings. Yeah. And then also taking all these drugs, all drinking really heavily. Now, I've had hangovers before. They're horrible. Yeah, yeah. Hangovers while being all battered and bruised. And then having to go and do something very physical. And then doing that for 20 years. And can you imagine being at a point in a match as well where you're tired, where you're out of breath, and you still have a match ahead of you where you have to take bumps and get hurt and it'd be sore, and you've all that other shit, and that is every fucking... I mean, this is 300 nights a year they were back in these days. Yeah. On the road... And this is before you had an iPod just to keep you company. You know? when I fell down the stairs, the next day I could go into work and say, oh, I'm a bit in pain today. Could I take a bit of a lesser role on? And they were like, yeah, fine, no problem. Do you think as well a part of it with the new culture might be the fact is that if you were some of those wrestlers on the road in the 80s, that... What you did—that was all you could do for fun. I bet, yeah. Because no iPhones. No one had like, you know, no one could Skype. You couldn't Skype home. No. You couldn't. You know, you didn't have a mobile phone. You had to, if you wanted to go ring home, you had to get a fucking actual phone. Not any games like what Scrabble. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just that, bring Monopoly. Too many pieces. You can see why that would. Oh yeah. Would, would would have happened completely? Yeah, and there's the whole culture involved. I imagine as well. It's not something I've heard particularly, but I bet this did happen. That wrestlers who didn't go partying and have this heavy lifestyle, I bet they were looked down upon by those. Oh, absolutely. Who did? Absolutely. Yeah. So and there's that a lot of peer on, pressure until the 90s as well. Yeah. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of How to Wrestling, and thank you everyone for tweeting in and listening in about hashtag how to perfect and a big shout out and thank you to christopher hollandshead for requesting this episode an absolute gem thank you so much for backing us and for requesting the episode it's a really really good idea i personally would also like to thank you because i genuinely feel i wouldn't have come across him like probably for years yeah. if it hadn't been for this episode absolutely and yeah. I really hope as well that a lot of our listeners said oh I don't I'm actually that familiar with Mr. Perfect and I'm quite excited to learn more about him use this opportunity 
go check out his matches, absolutely. Absolutely. especially the ones we've covered. They are so good. And uh, nearly all this stuff is, you know, of course, we we found on the network, including mm-hmm. those raw matches and whatnot. So all up there, and that documentary as well, which I can only give a massive stamp of recommendation for to check out as well our next episode is going to be a little bit different because we decided in the light of recent events that obviously a little bit of a change of our schedule is important for those of you who don't know recently daniel bryan who for the longest time was my favorite wrestler of all time had to retire as we mentioned earlier on and we think it's only fitting giving the spirit of what's in the air at the moment and the, the chat that's going on that this is the best time it was ever to do How To Daniel Bryan. I mean, it was one of the first episodes I wanted to do, but obviously being so unknown what was happening for so long. Now we know the sad reality of what's happened. Daniel Bryan is no longer a wrestler, but we can still look back and celebrate his career and most importantly, educate Joe as to why Kevin did a little cry during that retirement speech. So this whole thing is just to set up so that I'm not a loser for crying. (laughs) Honestly, you are not the only one. Steve Austin said he got emotional. You have no idea how many wrestling fans got genuinely so upset. Very, very sad. Very, very sad. So we are, of course, after matches, segments, recommendations, memories, and just, you know, seeing as for this instance, we're looking back at someone's career as a whole, which has recently ended... What do you think the long-term impact was? Why is it important for people to know about Daniel Bryan? Because I definitely think that even though he's retired now, that every new fan owes it to themselves to check out Daniel Bryan. So hopefully we'll be able to put together a nice tight match list that will consist of some of his Ring of Honor stuff, absolutely, but also as well his earlier stuff in WWE and moving on when he became world champion, so on and so forth. So use the hashtag HowToDanielBryan and you can follow us on Twitter at HowToWrestling and Facebook.com forward slash HowToWrestling where you can follow with that hashtag and add in your two cents to that discussion about Daniel Bryan and don't forget you can follow us on SoundCloud and iTunes as well as Stitcher Radio that's soundcloud.com forward slash howtowrestling to find us on iTunes just give us the old search and if you feel like leaving a rating or review that is so kind of you and thank you to everyone who's left a rating or review so far they've been absolutely lovely we love reading them mm-hmm. it cheers us right up And don't forget we have a Patreon page, which you can head to to get all kinds of exclusive material, content, access to things. We've got some really exciting stuff coming up there recently, haven't we? Oh, absolutely. Pay-per-view reviews and uh, special things that will be heading out for backers in the mail. Special Mm -hmm. gifts. So at $1, you get my episode notes, and they are quite wacky, silly, funny pictures, that kind of thing. You get to see basically what I read off while we record. And at $5, even better, is you get access to our monthly pay-per-view review. So coming up next, we've got Fastlane. That's going to be a, a good one, oh, I guess. absolutely, yeah. It's, it's looking to be good. Eva Marie's all over it. I mean, it's, it's just got the Eva Marie all red everything stamp of approval. She's in a gold cat suit, though. What's going on there? I don't know. Don't, all, all gold, gold? everything? Uh. <laughs> Weak branding. So um, we've got that to look forward to, and we would love for you to listen and join us on that. And don't forget, at the $5 backing as well, not only do you get this month's episode, this bonus episode, and it's not no little half-assed episode. You're talking about an hour plus of content mm-hmm. each time every month. You get access to all the previous bonus episodes going all the way back to SummerSlam when we first started doing the extra content so you get to find out the amazing journey I mean it's, it's really actually great to look back on now yeah. I mean, SummerSlam so excited about Seth and then the worries about Sting and Knight of Champions all moving the into hell and stuff. <laughs> it's, it's really really great to actually get like a, a, a new person's perspective on wrestling as it's been happening this past year um, it's <laughs> definitely probably one of the most unique set of pay-per-view reviews you will hear on the internet this year oh. so $5 backers make sure you check that 
that out. If you are a $10 backer, you get access to our monthly live stream where we stream video games and answer questions and chat with you, our lovely how-to universe. Plus, you may have heard in the last episode, how-to video games, we have our ridiculous universe mode. Why to wrestling? Why to wrestling. And we've told you, obviously, all the ridiculous stuff that happens on there, but you actually get to see it on this live stream. Yeah, and absolutely. And not only will you be able to see it on the live stream, if you've got ideas for characters, matches, feuds, rivalries, let us know if you're a $10 plus backer. And if you're one of those amazing people like Christopher Hollinshead who has to steer the good ship How To Wrestling in directions into waters of wrestlers new and old, then you can do so by requesting an episode and being a $50 backer. So we've got an amazing set of requests from our $50 backers so far. So good. Uh, honestly, like, it is... We got an amazing mix. I'm so excited. Some of the episodes coming up, not just wrestlers, some concept episodes. Mm -hmm. Like the How to Video Games episode, a lot of people were saying it was one of their favorite episodes. And for me as well, it was a real nice change of pace to do something a little bit different like that. And we've got some really cool ones coming yeah. up. All of our $50 backers, thank you so much for picking such amazing episodes. And thank you to each and every one of our Patreon backers. No matter how big or small, we love you. All of you, thank you for supporting this podcast and helping it go on to new heights each and every month. So patreon.com slash wrestling. So that's going to do it for me, Kevin. And me, Joe. And we'll see you next time on How To Wrestling. Please get in those tweets for hashtag HowToDanielBryan. We'll catch you next time. See ya. Hello, Kevin. Hi. Should we play another round of the Instagram game? Oh, okay then. All right. Today we have a picture from a certain WWE wrestler. Uh-huh. And I'm going to read out three comments left on their Instagram account. Mm -hmm. Okay? You know the rules. Yeah. And you've got to guess who you think this wrestler is. Okay. Bonus points if you can guess what they're doing in the picture. <laughs> so last time it was Triple H looking a bit sleepy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So fucking ugly, but nice tits. Okay. It's, it's, we've immediately narrowed down the roster to who this could be. Yeah, that's what happens with Instagram I comments. mean, it's a handful of female wrestlers and a few overweight male wrestlers that this could <laughs> possibly be. Yeah. Okay, let's see if the, uh, the next guesses give you a clue. Okay. Ugly face, you look like a donkey. Okay, now. Hmm. Right. Okay. Yep. yep. Final comment. Yep. You look like you are 50 and you suck dick at wrestling. You suck dick at wrestling and you look like you're 50. God, there's a lot of people that so, can be applicable to three that. points. Yeah. Fucking ugly but nice tits. Okay. Ugly face, you look like a donkey. And you look like you're 50 and you suck dick at wrestling. See, this is annoying because I mean, I think that's, that, that, that seems a bit crap, isn't it? That no matter how nice one's tits can be, it seems to have no bearing on your, on their wrestling, on, ability. On your wrestling ability. No. Or, or, or if you're ugly or not. So apparently you can have like literally the greatest tits in the world. Yeah. And you could still be in the eyes of, of these Instagram animals. Uh, you could still be ugly. Yeah. Right, so definitely it's got to be um, it's got to be a female wrestler or a diva, as they're also known. Mm-hmm. But which one? Donkey was, was, was used. Yeah, donkeys were mentioned. Okay. 
Mm, and you suck dick at wrestling. Yeah. Because immediately, I'm, I don't know for whatever reason, I, I kind of was drawn to Stephanie McMahon. Right. But I'm going to say, as a coin flip, I'm going to spread it out. I'm going to say either Sasha Banks. Right. Or Charlotte. Oh, okay. And the reason I go with Sasha Banks or Charlotte is just that um, because they're new on the scene, maybe that kind of riles up the blood a little bit. Right. Um, I know Charlotte has gotten flack from... Uh, from from gross wrestling fans before, as has Sasha over their appearance, and I know that Ric Flair was someone who Terry Funk uh, called a donkey uh, on a number of occasions. Okay. So that's where I'm kind of going there. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to try and close in? I think it's Charlotte, isn't it? You think it's Charlotte? I'm just going poker reading here on sure. your face. Yeah. Are you certain? I'm sorry. Did Terry Funk leave that comment? T <laughs> <laughs> uh, Funk, nineteen fifty says. <laughs> You don't look any good at all. I think your tits are amazing, though. <laughs> has this as this user also went on to Mick Foley's Instagram and said, I don't see shit in you. <laughs> well, well done. It was indeed Yes! Charlotte. Excellent. Would I've... you like to try and guess what she's doing in the picture? I bet she's doing something like a wrestling move. There's like a short video clip of her doing something fucking athletic and awesome. Or some shit. Mm, not quite. No, I, I'll I'll show you. Okay. There we go. She's literally just. The, she's just. It's just a picture of her, of her outfit that she had for the pay per view. Yeah. So she's just there with her bejazzled face. <laughs> <laughs> there were a few other comments about the bejazzling. <laughs> I was to say yeah, kudos to those uh those those disgusting comments who managed to like not mention anything about the the bejazzled face and they went straight for tits and wrestling ability. Yeah. Obviously that that was something that's, that feels strong for them. I've officially won a round of the wrestling. Game. Well done. Yes. I'm gonna have to pick something harder next time. Clearly, obviously, yeah. it's a little bit more. Difficult I'm kind of sad that. that you successfully guessed it. Oh well, there you go. Based on a bunch of horrible insults. Yeah. There we go. 